0: hey guys this is ronnie just a reminder these are old episodes and if you want to check out what we are currently doing all you have to do is go to the rebooted channel on youtube and you can see our sweet faces talking about this stuff and announcing a new podcast with ed greer ron swallow and producer bill called the greatest pod check it out wherever you get your podcasts in addition if you want to support us monetarily All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash the greatest pod and you can sign up for the $5 tier that gets you extra podcasts or sign up for the $7 tier that gets you the extra podcasts and art sent directly to your house. We've got a new T public store for you to get all of the cool shirts that you could possibly want the mumbo gumbo the pop art reboot crew the classic logo and then of course. The Rebooted Drinking Game, which has Jensen Ackles and DJ Qualls, among other fan favorite comments. So do yourself a favor. Go to tpublic.com user reboot it and pick up your favorite T-shirt. So thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Reboot It.
1: At a major Hollywood studio in a corner office of sub-basement D. The development executives toil in obscurity to... Reboot it! The Internet. The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the YouTube series Reboot It, its continuing mission to explore strange new franchises, to seek out new stories and new civilizations, and to boldly go where Hollywood has gone before. Welcome, everybody, to the Star Trek Next Generation episode of Reboot It. With me, as always, the Reboot crew. You know them, you love them. From Hot Takes with Billy Business, a senior producer at Screen Junkies, billy business guys i
2: told you about a week or two ago i was on the toilet when inspiration hit me and i think this may be my personal best casting that i've ever come up with i can't wait
1: uh so billy right off the bat are you a tng diehard do you stand this franchise i i love tng
2: uh i think I, i don't like to choose between one one version of Star Trek over the other, but I think TNG was, it was definitely the first Star Trek I ever saw was oddly in theaters. I saw Star Trek insurrection, which ends up being not a very good Star Trek movie, but at the time it's good enough to capture my attention. So I love that TNG is a little bit more mature, a little bit more darker, a little bit more introspective than maybe the original series was.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of interesting differences that we'll get into first. Let's meet him. You know him from the New Negroes on Comedy Central. You know him from the old pre-quarantine version of SJU. You know him from the upcoming new podcast The Greatest Pod, Mr. Ed Greer. <laughs> hey guys, I am I'm really
3: I'm really ready for this one. I'm ready. I, I don't know, man. I need to put my shields up though
1: because this seems like really hard. It seems <laughs> it seems like a hard one. So, Ed, you, of course, are notorious for how much you hate things. Star Trek Next Generation, what do you think? Uh, I I really think
3: I like it the second best of all the Star Trek shows. And I think it was a great uh, uh, drug to get the new people into Star Trek. It toned down some of the the original series peculiarities, let's say. Made it a little bit more living room drama, even though the Star Trek, the old Star Trek was a was a was a people in rooms talking show as well. But I, I think it's uh it really introduced it to a whole new generation. And I'm happy to be part of ruining someone's childhood today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> love it. We always love to do that here on the show uh, with a childhood that can't be ruined because it's already the darkest timeline. You know him. You love him. Mr. Ron Swallow. Here's my cat's butt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hello ash so you guys uh, obviously i love cats i love my cat <laughs> knocking over things it's the best way to start this off ever so proud so proud you guys your, your um, cat's
3: getting into the theme it's doing gravity experiments
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you guys uh yes uh i'm excited about this i loved star trek it's uh yes the childhood wasn't great but you want to you want to know some of the good memories that i did have Mm-hmm. I did enjoy watching Star Trek: Next Generation with my dad. That was one of the things that we actually had a good time with. Uh, you, he was, you know, it was during the day, so he was less drunk. Perfect. Perfect.
1: <laughs> oh man, I gotta not ever bring that up again because nope. it gets real depressing <laughs> really quick. <laughs> no, but it isn't because Star Trek I totally uh,
0: is is one of the coolest. I, I, it's just great moments for me as in my childhood. It's, is watching Star Trek: uh, Next Generation was amazing. Uh, I think maybe it also because I saw Next Generation before I ever saw the old series and uh, it certainly made me think the old series was not good. So, yeah, I I like the old series movies. I like the Star Trek movies, but the, 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 the show itself did not, was not,
1: no, I'm good. Well, like we said with Billy, we will get into some of those differences between the original series and TNG. I will say for myself, I am the layperson in the group for this one. I obviously know the characters. I know the general setup of TNG. I've seen a smattering of episodes, uh, but really it wasn't until college that I think I really dove into the lore of Star Trek. For whatever reason, as much as I grew up loving sci-fi and superheroes, both the Star franchises, like Star Wars, I came too late as a fan and Star Trek, I really never came around to it as a fan, even though I love everything that Roddenberry was about and that he tried to suffuse into these series, um, it just was never a big part of my fandom. So I'll be the guy asking the dumb questions as we go through this episode. Yeah. Let's get into it. Um, you know Tng is is a seminal television series like uh, you guys were mentioning. it it really was responsible for bringing, a whole generation of fans, not only to Star Trek, but to science fiction. I mean, I think even to this day, a lot of the setups that you see on sci-fi te- television shows and movies that garner huge audiences were things that were first experimented with on Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, you've seen a lot of the writers matriculate into big showrunners. runners. Like it, it's a foundational element of our current pop culture. Um, I don't even know where to begin in terms of giving the full background on the show, but as you may or may not know, the original Star Trek uh, ran for three seasons in the 60s, was a cultural touchstone, but not necessarily the franchise juggernaut that Star Trek became. Um, the movies were subsequent to the original series, and when the movies proved successful, talk and immediately began for how do we do Star Trek phase two. And that eventually culminated in Star Trek The Next Generation, which premiered, I believe, in 1987. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. And, uh, and ran for a whopping seven seasons. Um, it, it actually led to two different... Uh, there were uh, eventually three different spinoffs, but two of those three subsequent spinoffs came directly out of story threads that were established in Star Trek Mm. The Next Generation.
2: It was almost like the first attempt at like, for lack of a better term, like a cinematic universe because you had Deep Space Nine, which Worf kind of went back and forth between and and they definitely had, you know, like Jean-Luc showed up on Deep Space Nine. Then you had Voyager, which was also around the same time, but a completely different concept. So like Brandon Braga, who gets a lot of flack, but also... He was the one that was just like, look, Roddenberry stuff was great. I love everything that Roddenberry's about. We do have to evolve this. There needs to be a little bit more conflict. There has to be conflict for story. And I think that's why in the kind of in the mid-90s, you got this like smorgasbord of different Star Treks. So you had your Star Trek proper. You had Deep Space Nine, which was a lot more uh, kind of dramatic and a lot more uh, serialized. And then you had
1: Voyager, which was just
2: lost in space, but with a Star Trek flare.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, it really, like, like I said, it really wasn't until the next generation and its subsequent shows came around that Star Trek became this sort of multi-property franchise. You know, for the longest time, it was Kirk, Spock, and McCoy through the years, and I think Next Generation was sort of the first planting the flag in the ground to say, no, this is something much bigger than just that original series. Mm-hmm. Um, the next generation itself spawned four different movies uh, that were sort of big when they started and, and gradually diminishing returns as it went on, um, and then more recently uh, a full-on return to the to the original version with Star Trek: Picard on CBS All Access, uh, with most of the original cast coming back to reprise their roles, picking up the story you know 30 years down the line with an older Jean-Luc Picard. So. The other piece of this is Star Trek itself has changed a lot, as we've already gotten into, since The Next Generation premiered, even since those Next Generation movies premiered. And I want to say the first thing we should talk about here is the Star Trek Kelvin timeline, the J.J. Abrams time travel shenanigans reboot of the original series. And the big question that we should answer right off the bat is, are we in the Kelvin timeline? Are we in a brand new timeline that we'll call the reboot timeline? Or are we gonna try to make a movie franchise fit in with Picard, which is the original timeline? Lot of questions hmm. here, so, let's start with that question. So for me, what, the,
2: the thing I always thought was interesting, if not a, a slightly confusing about the 2009 Star Trek, was that they went out of their way to make sure you knew it was an alternate history. But it was almost unnecessary, because in a way, when you start Star Trek, the original series, we're not getting necessarily an origin story of Kirk and the crew. We're just kind of jumping right in, and we hear bits and pieces of of the history as we go along, especially, you know, Wrath of Khan and the Kobayashi Maru. So you could have made 2009 Star Trek as a straight-up prequel with no ties to any alternate universe, and it would have been fine. But it's there. It exists. Star Trek The Next Generation is different, though, because Star Trek, the pilot episode encounter at Farpoint, that is an introduction to the crew as we know it. It's Picard's first outing as as captain of the Enterprise. They're going to pick up Riker. So we do have our backs against the walls if we try to continue that timeline. I personally think that we should set this in the Kelvin timeline because they've already given you the rope to kind of, you know, have free reign to kind of rewrite history a little bit, which in our case might be a little bit more freeing. That's my opinion. And also my cast does not work if we continue
1: on. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to throw you off base real early, Billy, because oh, you were coming yeah. in hot with that case. Uh, with Come that on, cast.
2: toilet casting is the whole <laughs> reason why I was excited for this episode.
3: But <laughs> well, w- whether or not all of your toilet casting survives the rigors, of our examination whether or not that is the case it is important to establish where what our universe is and i very much agree with billy in regards to i want free reign i don't want anybody going well actually um you know i, I don't i don't need that and uh what's the captain They got pike where's pike where's Pike's space wheelchair i don't i don't need that i don't need anybody bringing up stuff like that so let's let's just do what we do
1: Although Pike would be long dead in this, sorry. (laughs) Ron, what do you think? Are we going uh, Kelvin-style reboot? Are we going brand-new timeline, do whatever we want? Or do you want to pick up where Picard is leaving off?
0: I mean, you know, when you said pick up where Picard is leaving off, that sounds interesting to me. Um, But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm relaxed on this stuff. Like, we can go where we go. I, I just thought it was interesting, the idea of, so it would be the real next generation. In that case, it'd be a whole new, <laughs> a, a whole new thing with extra technology in theory, right? Uh, because at that point, we've had another eighty years, or I don't know, fifty years, if you want to go by the age of uh, Picard or something like that. Uh, Thirty years, actually. I think he was fifty when he was doing it in theory, but let's say it's another 50 years. I don't care, however we do it. Well, in the um, new
3: show, yeah, he's old. He's like a 100. He's, like, he's playing 90 in the new show. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Show. yeah, he's 90 in the new show.
0: Yeah, so, you know, you're talking 40 years later, if you get a whole new cast of characters going on adventures, that's, that gives you a, a lot of freedom to do sort of whatever you want to do. Uh, Here's but, what I
2: would say, though. I feel like, and I don't know about you guys, but when I walked out of Star Trek 2009, and I love. That movie and I feel like that was the first Time I saw like general audiences That couldn't give a crap about Star Trek Like this was awesome the first conversation that we had exactly <laughs> the first mm-hmm. conversation that we had when we walked out of the theater was like, I wonder who they'll get for next generation. Like we were already because we grew up uh, at least the group I was with, we grew up with the next generation being the one that was on TV all the time. so it was like, oh man, I can't wait till they do all these movies and then do next generation And I'm still kind of bummed that as of you know this recording in October of 2020 that that hasn't happened yet.
0: Well, and the other thing is more in our, in our world of rebooting, I think it makes the most sense to do, to do that. Because yeah. then we can reboot with the same characters who exist already, but on a different timeline with a little bit of, you know, changes wanna, or whatever.
1: I want to jump on that, Ron, because I agree. I think there's a huge part of me that is like, man, the meta-ness of us just inventing a brand new version of Star Trek as a direct continuation of the next generation and then that becomes the cinematic next generation is very tasty to me. But I also know that us trying to invent a brand new Star Trek from whole cloth would turn into a six-hour discussion. (laughs) Maybe for a a premiere or a finale, but let's Hmm. not go down that road. Let's do... What is our version of the next generation that people Mm -hmm. know and love? Mm -hmm. Fixing some of the problems, highlighting some of the things that, you know, maybe became running storylines in a seven episodes or a seven series, uh, a seven season series, tongue twister. Uh, (laughs) And how do we blow those up and make them single storylines for a movie version? Let's do that. And to Billy's point, just because it's fun, how do we fit it into the Kelvin timeline? So that is, that, those are the parameters in which we're working. Can we all agree? Yeah, absolutely. So first question, as always, what does an audience bring into a brand new version of Star Trek The Next Generation? And this is interesting because we may have had a preview of what some of those audience expectations would be with Picard. So what do we think an audience is going to... Is going to be feeling when they see Star Trek: The Next Generation, brand new cast, up on the marquee at a movie theater.
0: Mm. Well, first off, they need a bald guy.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's Jean pretty Picard, clear. I, no I, hair.
2: Dis- I actually disagree. I, oh. I,
0: like, if you don't understand that, I'm joking right there. uh No, that's a joke. I have, I actually, the problem is, I don't know exactly what they do bring into it. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that, I mean, if they're my age you know they bring in i think they think about the borg and the q i think they are probably thinking about who the bad guy is going to be more than they're thinking about who who's going to play well i mean they obviously care about who's going to play those characters but they're i think they're more thinking about like ooh, who who are we going to get to see how are they going to make this uh you know version of q or this version of the borg that's the, the of the two main bad guys that pop into my head right away those are the
1: the two that I think about. I, can I jump on that for a second? Just for bringing my outsider looking in perspective on the franchise, I almost think this is asking a question of like, what would an audience expect if you were to put do law and order special victims unit as a big budget movie? It's sort of the same thing. It's like, how are you going to take this very episodic, very I don't want to say formulaic because I don't think next generation is, but I think there's a perception that like they're low key episodes. You know what I mean? Like this is not peak TV television. This is very much, Hey, we've got six standing sets and maybe we'll do something on the back lot style television. Um, And and I think that that goes along with what you're saying, Ron, like the the major question that I would think people would have coming into this is how do you even give this the big budget treatment? But again, that's a non-fan perspective. Well, so Okay, so here's, here's kind of what I see
2: of the whole thing. Like I think for us, the blueprints have already been laid out with 2009's Star Trek. I go back to that movie and think, what did that get right? And I think to me, what it got right was it wasn't trying to get myself or Ron or Ed into the theater. It was trying to get you into the theater, Bill that's mm-hmm. who it wanted to appeal to. Now once we got in there, there definitely was enough that made me feel satisfied as a fan and I'm not going to speak for runner ed, but I'd say culturally the the hardcore fans there was enough there that was like, yeah, this feels good. But they they kind of it was like a, you know, they they wrapped the pill with peanut butter for for the main audiences. All the star trekness was in there, but it was on an, uh, an even playing field with kind of updated modern cinematic tropes and conventions and special effects. And it didn't look like it was just five people sitting around six sets. It looked like a big action movie that had a lot of humor and it had a lot of heart. And so as an audience member, I think I kind of if I'm going into Star Trek The Next Generation, I kind of think that that's the angle that you're gonna take with next generation, which is next generation is very much like a law and order in the sense that mm-hmm. it's a lot of talking. There's there's action, but not, not quite the way that maybe people would expect. And I think we try to find the heart and we try to find the appeal and we don't go too hardcore on trying to satisfy the hardcore Trek fans, which we can, we will. But mm-hmm. I think our main priority is how do we get someone like you, Bill, who wasn't that interested into the theater and make it a little more
1: accessible? Fair. Ed, what are you thinking? Uh, a lot of
3: stuff because I, uh, you guys are all, all on point as to what we need to do. And I think, yeah, Kelvin going hard on what we can actually contribute to this while having large sections that are resolved through speeches. There is <laughs> there, you know, there is you know There was a percussive weaponized quality to picard's speeches he would whip those sons of bitches out and just level the playing field and resolve the issue like it was a super weapon we need to really remember that that's part of this they're they even in the movies they, they they understood that sometimes they made him say weird stuff that, you know, the line must be drawn yeah you know and stuff like that but like all of that sort of stuff we need to remember stuff like that. I'm serious. And like, and like, also, we can fix certain things. Worf doesn't always have to be wrong, or want to blow up everything all the time, because we're not doing episodic, we're establishing a character who can grow and change over the course of a movie. So maybe you start them like that, and then evolve, you know what I mean? There's things yeah. we could do in this and in, in our format of making it a movie that can improve upon this, you know, you have to introduce these characters every episode, so they don't necessarily get to change we can monkey with that that's what i'm saying
2: you know one of the the great things about tng is i kind of think that it it takes some of the the preconceived notions of you know the bad guys in the original series especially those movies were the klingons and then now we're we're zoomed into the future and here is the very first klingon ever in starfleet and i love that we You know, through him, we were able to kind of learn more about the Klingons. They're not these like just savage warrior beasts. They're this whole beautiful culture that TNG really gets on. And so in our timeline, you know, where there's not a lot of rules and restrictions, no rules and restrictions, really you know, we can really get into the fact that like something along the lines of, you know, Worf is the very first Klingon. What does that mean to everyone around them? Because that's not something really that TNG did before. And that's just like an example of what we can do with our reboot is really like highlight some of the differences of of these characters that maybe the series just didn't have time to get into or just didn't get into.
3: Oh, and one thing, when you look at the um, Kelvin Klingons, Number one, that design is fresh as hell. And number two, those dude, like that dude, is on your ship. You've been kicking it with a bunch of jumpsuited people, adjusting their crotches every two seconds while they wave wands over the walls indiscriminately in the background. You've been living that lifestyle, and this dude, you know, Shaquille O'Neal with ridges on his head, comes in and he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna work here now. What's up? Oh, I'm I'm head of stuff. This guy." As the head of stuff now, you know, you, I, I can understand why it would weird these people out.
0: But in theory, it wouldn't yeah. like it would it would be one of those things where there'd probably be like a few people who were weirded out. And then a, a few people who were, I don't know. Look, I, I, I don't
2: want to get in the weeds of, of the acceptance of Klingons. In, well, yeah, in but we, I think that My point that... was just that I think that there were seeds planted that we can definitely water and mature into full blown plants in
1: our well, I, I think the largest point is that, you know, as a as a syndicated television series, there's sort of a need to have a status quo where it's like we come into it and things just are how they are. And yes, maybe we can explore the backstory via mm. conversations and big speeches, but for a movie, it doesn't need to be that at all. And so mm. we can get into things of like what is the moment where the Klingons join the Federation and how does that change everything? So, you know, I think where that dovetails with how we usually talk about these franchises is the question of what is this series really about? And I think more than almost any other franchise that we've done to date on this show, that is a really important question when it comes to Star Trek The Next Generation, because this is a show that had almost 200 episodes and it self-consciously tried to tackle some of the headiest philosophical subject matter you can imagine. So... Within that, what do we think is sort of the core of what they were doing with these characters and with this setup? What is this show about on a fundamental level? Well, here's
0: one of the problems and also the beautiful parts. Uh, Because what it's really about is it's about how using diplomacy while also learning about other people's cultures with an open mind is the true way to get to peace that's really what star trek in general is about and let me tell you mean gene (laughs) that does not make a good movie like (laughs) i mean arguably it doesn't there's not i mean especially if you're going from look do i like stuff like that yes absolutely but if you're going from 2009 star trek this this guy who's still off the beaten path and does all the fighting to uh, a guy who's like, I mean, in my mind, I'm literally thinking the first scene is Picard working the truce with the Klingons. Like, that's a thing in my head that popped out immediately. It's like, that's the beginning of the story. I mean, it doesn't have to be the beginning of the story, but it's just like, this guy is, is, is uh, great at diplomacy and really respects the Federation's ideals of looking at cultures and learning from them and when they're ready to join, getting
3: them to be part of the, the group. Well, well can, I, can I jump on that real quick? I do think when you really look at TNG's actual structure, it is about getting, getting. I don't want to even say diverse, but he's got a freaking Klingon, a robot, a telepath, a blind guy. You know what I'm saying? He's call got it AI. What, call it what it is. This is the graduation of the Star Trek uh, situation. Basically, the very the first one was we have a Vulcan, a person who grandfathered us into the to the grand tradition of being in the Federation or whatever. We have one of the boss aliens, basically, as the first officer on the ship. That was where it started. Now we have an enemy alien, quote unquote. Uh, 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 an AI, uh, you know, uh, differently abled people all over the place, telepaths. And the one person that is a so-called normal TOS type of character is William T. Riker yep. modeled on James T. Kirk. So they can have. So, so if diplomacy boy got two in the weeds talking, we can always cut to somebody punching something or having sex with it. You know what I'm saying? That that right there, it's, it's perfect. So let's kind of keep that and understand that that on Picard ship. One of the great things about the story could be Picard is gathering up his home, uh, gathering up his team to have this new experimental fresh ship of the next generation. And it is manned by these weirdos. You know what I'm saying? I I think that that's a part of where you could start. I think for me, I can, I boil
2: Star Trek down to, to, to its smallest element. I think Star Trek, any iteration is about optimism and faith in humanity and I I realize we're talking about robots and aliens and stuff but humanity being you know sentient living beings because Mm -hmm. I think ultimately every Star Trek story that has ever mattered has been you know faith in in humans to do the right thing or faith like even even Star Trek 2009 to me is a story about is very singular faith in yourself in Kirk To know that this is what you were meant to do. You were meant to do bigger things. Uh, And and I think, you know, all the way up until, you know, Star Trek Generations, which is my favorite Star Trek movie, by the way, which is kind of like this, this faith in humans that you can take suffering because it makes you part of who you are and taking shortcuts is, you know, it's not the path to enlightenment. It's not the path to understanding each other. Sometimes that our pain helps us grow. Like it's always very much to me about becoming and evolving as better people. And there could be tons of ways that you get to that end point. But I think if you were to boil it down to one thesis statement, to me, Star Trek is always about restoring faith that if we work together, if we stop fighting and start like find a common goal, like humanity is worth not saving, but you, you get where I'm going with this, where it's just like ultimately right. people are capable of doing amazing things if they so choose to. And if they don't, no. that's when mm-hmm. problems arise.
3: Right. And I'm, I'm just saying, and I, yes, and that I'm saying a super heroic, the way that we film it, the way we show it, the way we set up the situation where he's going to have to do it. We could open or have near the beginning a fresh action scene, a Picard action scene of super diplomacy. He gets out of there with one Klingon guy, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he's starting his his crew, or he's taking it back to his crew that already exists. I don't I don't think we need to a team it up too much, but I just saying like, yeah, I think you're right, and showing at some point in the movie at least that diplomacy and thinking about things from other people's perspectives, compromise. Is almost like a superpower, being able to articulate these ideas to where people don't feel as though they're
1: losing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah let let me let me jump on this again. I I'm going to bring a little bit of an outsider's perspective, but I I, I have kind of two things to say. I think number one, the JJ Abrams movie was very much the cinematic treatment of the original series because the original series was all about exploration. It was about We are constantly going to be encountering things that we don't understand. And it's a big grand adventure in like a, you know, in like a a pirates on the high seas type of tradition. I think the cinematic version of what the next generation does looks a lot more like a David Fincher movie looks a lot more like people with agendas trying to maintain leverage over other people with agendas. And the only problem is it's like you you have an innate understanding that there are huge stakes behind who actually achieves what they're going for. And I'm not saying that we're trying to make seven here because we're not, but I think it's worth understanding that like graduating what the next generation is to a cinematic version, to me anyway, feels very different than graduating the DNA of the original series to a cinematic version. And then the only other thing I'll say in terms of what the series is about, I always thought The Next Generation was about war, but it was about war in sort of the anti-cinematic sense of war. It is about everything that has to happen so you don't go to war because war is terrible. And to me, that sort of sums up the, the Picard. It's what Ron was talking about with diplomacy. But I think in terms of as we start to spin around a theme, I think that... Diplomacy only exists because we don't want to go to war, like okay. it is intrinsically connected. And I think there's something to that that we would do well to ruminate on. Okay. So, so, that all said, let's talk about it. What story do we want to tell here? We've already broached this idea of the Klingons joining the Federation, uh, Ron, you brought up Q and the Borg, I do think the villain is a big part of this conversation. Especially because the Borg and Q were such a huge part of Picard's arc um, in the next generation. I don't know if I
2: go so far as to call Q a villain, by the way. Bear in mind he's a force of Mi- nature. He's like Mixie Spitlick or or Loki or any one of the bat might <laughs> any one of those like <laughs> <Sure>. trickster um, <laughs> but it's always for the benefit of humans because he believes that humans are capable. He just always puts them to the test. And ultimately I do think Q is an amazing way that character has almost no rules to the sense of what an amazing way to connect everything together, because it could literally be the Q from the universe that we already know, who has now poked his head into this Kelvin timeline.
1: Billy, can you give us a quick rundown for those in the audience who might not be as familiar? Who is Look, Q? What's the his only deal? thing
2: that you need to know about Q is Q is, is actually a group. It's a group of, to boil it down, it's like omnipotent gods. They can be, they can manipulate any sort of events. They can manipulate reality. Um, And then the Q that we know, uh, he kind of, for whatever reason, seems to zero in on Picard and this version of of the TNG crew. The very first episode, Encounter at Farpoint, was Q basically putting Picard on trial for the crimes of humanity. Uh, and it, it, it ultimately, even though we didn't know it at the time, winds up being the whole crux of the series because it comes back into... Uh, One of the best series finales of any show of all time, which was All Good Things, which is what Avengers Endgame got a lot of inspiration from, where Picard from three different time periods and three different realities had to work together with himself to accomplish one goal. And it was Q's way of testing humanity, which is kind of what we were talking about anyway. But I love the idea that if all of these realities now exist and we are acknowledging that the Kelvin is something like the only person... I guess, besides Spock, who could realistically Hmm. with no problem jump between realities is Q. And I think maybe I'm not trying to pitch a whole story, but it could be interesting if like, uh, you know, what if Q is the Q that we know from the original uh, TNG kind of sees that a new offshoot universe has been created? And he's like, wait a second, this is not the Picard that I tested. This is not the crew Uh, And you kind of put them through some sort of a new test because ultimately I think that's, that's maybe the best way to go about it is like, how do we test this new crew?
1: Interesting. I, I worry that that feel, I mean, that is such a deus ex machina plot that does it feel frivolous? Because at the end of the day, if it's an omnipotent being who could do whatever he wants, just trying to test you what are the stakes and maybe that's a, a real question like what were the stakes in all good things like what if what if it didn't work what would q do i
2: mean the the idea being that all three realities would be destroyed uh um, okay and do we know if he would have done it we don't it could also be something like what if what if q is dying and he's just cycling through verses on his way out and just mysteriously or we don't have to use q I'm just saying No, fair enough. It, it makes very much sense to me that Q would show up in this alternate timeline.
0: I I have an idea.
2: through alternate timelines. Go go for
0: it. I mean, I I look, why couldn't we use Q and the Borg? At the I, same so time? The, Here's idea. My thing on the
2: Borg. On. The Borg is just so like It's like I almost that's like your Dark Knight. They didn't put Joker in the very first Batman reboot because they knew you wanted it and they wanted to they wanted to build up to it a little bit. I feel like the Borg is just, if we, we put build the up Borg in the first movie, we have nowhere to go. And I feel oh, like the Borg is really, enough. really interesting.
0: No, me too. That's why, I, that's, that's the Borg I just, I
2: don't, uh, this maybe this is me being a Star Trek dick, but it's like, I don't want to give you that right away. I don't want yeah. this to be like, oh, next generation, obviously it's a Borg. It's like, wait a second. We'll, we'll get there, but we're not
1: there yet. I'd almost rather build up this this idea of the Borg over a couple movies that said, could you also treat the Borg sort of like Sauron in Lord of the Rings, where you could tell a multi-movie story where the Borg are sort of behind, behind the curtain and it takes three movies to even defeat them. I mean, there's something to that too. I mean, because it, it's the opposite of,
0: of what Star Trek is. And I hate to say this, it's almost like, uh, the bad parts of America where it's like, yeah, you can become American, but you also have to do exactly what we tell you to do and be part of this specific right. style we of work group.
2: Basically whitewashing
0: the entire <laughs> galaxy. Yeah.
2: Individuality is discouraged. And I think that's definitely Star Trek. I'm just saying as a business person, I don't want to show my hands in the first one completely. I think we okay. get, it's the same reason why for whether you liked it or didn't, the same reason why they didn't do Khan in the first 2009 Star Trek. They waited a beat.
0: Well, because okay, well, what, what what my idea had, it's a pretty simple idea, but the idea is that the test is the Borg from Q. And it's, do we destroy the Borg? Because they're the ones just like trying to take everything of, of, uh, apart, but bring it all into their thing. Or, or do we let the Borg be the Borg, but somehow, com, you know, communicate to them that we need to be able to let everyone else? Do we show the Borg how important it is to have individuality while also being part of community? Like, that, if that, that makes any sense,
1: it does. I mean, that is the Borg story. It also, it, like, you don't it, need Q for that. I mean, that's that's the question that the Borg raises, right? Is like, yeah. look, this is just a totally different. I mean, aside from the Aside from the thematic elements of like, yes, the Borg is about the death of individuality, even on a moral level, you know, the Borg is just a different type of life. And it's life that has evolved to become something radically different than what we think of life as being. But does that give us the permission then to eradicate it or to change it? Yeah, actually, I mean I,
2: that's that's always I wanna, inherent to a board story. I want to back up to something Ed said, and Ed, I think you may have said it as a joke, but then you kind of got my noodle cooking. I actually like the idea of Picard, uh, a teaming a a crew. Um, it it has kind of for me, it has feeling a little bit of the feeling of like search for Spock, where where. Kirk has to go a little rogue and assemble the people who will go with him to the Genesis planet. But I almost wonder if it's like, do you start with the story of them and how this crew comes to, because ultimately I think that's what it has to be. It has to be this, this crew full of disparate people of all certain walks have to come together to defeat something or to overcome something. And I wonder if you start there and the something will just, naturally come. Like, I I know usually we start with villain and work backwards, but I almost wonder if it's the other way. Because when you think of like Eric Bana in Star Trek 2009, like that's definitely the bad guy, but it's like the real thing is trying to get this crew that we know and love to be this crew that we know and love.
1: Well, I think you can go even further into that question. And I would posit, is Picard the main character? I think that the way Picard was always written in The Next Generation, he was very... I don't want to say aloof, but he was hard. He was a hard man to know. You know, he, he didn't wear his emotions on his sleeve. He had a huge interior life. There might be a real argument to be made that making a Riker or even a wharf, or if we want to go this way, a Wesley Crusher, the point of view character of the movie could be a way to, to come into this world in a way that doesn't make sort of your very stiff British, diplomacy-minded guy the one that the audience is supposed to be identifying with
2: if that's the case then i actually i i think even we started the conversation this way like i almost wonder if the most interesting point of view is wharf here is someone that has been hated by for generations and has now joined the ranks of the people that hated them and was at war with them Like. What must it be like to join Starfleet, the enemy, and become, like Ed said, like, not only are you joining, you are the head of security. You are in charge here. Like, that couldn't have gone down. We're putting
3: our lives in your hands, literally. Uh, pretty much. And, and 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 again, I'm not trying to get too deep here, but he had to straight Jackie Robinson up. You know what I mean? He had to straight up be the best Federation dude he could be, or else he's... And, and we could even heighten it in this. He has to be the best dude he can be or else his failure is a dishonor upon the Klingon race and B, a disastrous in regards to the peace that has been brokered because these dudes fighting has destabilized the universe forever. And now they're finally going to do a little test with this Jackie Robinson project. And if he fails, it's a huge failure for that diplomacy.
0: Oh, you know? wow. And he's the guy putting together the crew.
1: And then, well, no, I mean, I was going to say, then you make Picard, for lack of a better way to put it, your magical cracker. And like, if it's Worf's story, (laughs) Picard is like the only one to sort of reach across the aisle and be like, I trust you, we can do this. Like, you are, I, I, even if no one else I, I feel like it's more interesting
2: because Picard has this arrogance about him especially in his youth i mean look we don't have to follow the next generation canon as it exists obviously but one of the things that's really interesting is that picard was a major head and it only came through experience in years and there are times especially when he's frustrated ed again you you joked about the, the line must be drawn here but it's like he's being such a stubborn head because he always thinks he's right that i think we can rewrite a little bit of the character relationships you know it's always like with with star trek it was always kirk and spock it was always those two and mccoy was kind of the tag along when spock wasn't available but it was always kirk and spock and then in the movies they brought uhura into it and she was there was never any sort of like importance on that character like major importance the way they gave her in those movies i kind of feel like in next generation look in the show you had Picard had this very special relationship with Riker. He also had a very special relationship with Data. But for our movies, I almost like if the Kirk Spock is Picard Worf. And that's the one where like, they just don't see eye to eye. Picard has been years and years family going through the Federation. What a slap in the face that his ancestors, his great generals fought against the Klingons, and now he has to work with one. Like, you have to think that Picard's not just gonna be like, yep, I trust you. This is like Mr. Company Man. He probably hates the fact that Worf was assigned to him. Probably well, wants him off it, the ship
0: the first well, Look, he gets. I, I hate that, but I also love that.
2: <laughs> because <laughs> well, no, ultimately, me, Ron, you know that if, by the end, yeah, he's it's going to be how. Yeah, long that's why I'm saying
0: right. it's it's great. it's great it's great drama and it's and it gives character arcs. so i i love that overall. and also
3: but just as a yes and yes and a counterpoint i think you can also get a lot of mileage <laughs> yes you, can, you, you can you can you <laughs> can you can have a you can also get a lot of mileage out of the fact that picard is arrogant people don't think of him that way because the shows always write him as right you know what I mean? He's like Jeff Wenger in a community. He always has a speech that's going to solve the problem. So in the end, he is most of the time, like 93% of the time, absolutely right. But he is a guy who, like Billy said, always thinks he's right. And I think we can get a lot of mileage out of how arrogant he is to, to take on this grand experiment. You got a fresh new ship going to do a fresh new mission. And you're going to populate it with a crew that you handpicked to show that you know best how to make a starship crew go together. I don't need a bunch of these bums. I need weirdos and next-gen next, next gen people. I'm gonna make this team. And so he gets the very first Klingon, goes and negotiates some stuff, gets the very first Klingon, boom, makes him head of security, gets a experimental ass robot, boom. Hey, are you blind? Do you wanna drive the ship? But no, I, I'll put you in engineering, that's better. Boom, he's just make, he's getting these guys to go do this. I like what Billy said, a specific mission where he and his grand design has devised this crew. But over the course of the of the mission, of course, a lot of it goes hella wrong because he's picked people who, he's picked them based upon something that, it, that he sees in his head, but they have to gel. It's like when you pick a team and, 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 and any sort of sport, you pick a bunch of guys who you think they're gonna go together, but they have to go through some stuff to be actually formed into a so team. Then,
2: but then you're saying that he's right, that ultimately his like- no In the end he'll be right,
3: in the end he'll be right for something he couldn't have foreseen.
2: See, I kind of learn. I, the only reason I disagree is I just think dramatically it makes more sense to me if he just didn't want Worf there. In fact, you can also kind of as a wink and a nod to the next generation, he chooses Tasha Yar as his head of security and ah. they're like, "No, she's out. This Worf guy is coming." He's like, "No, I don't want this Klingon guy." Because to me it just makes more sense dramatically. I get what you're saying, Ed. I just I think the only part where I maybe I'm just not understanding correctly is like It's if we're trying to show that he's arrogant and that he kind of needs these other people to bring him together. But it's like if he had this master vision and he grabbed everybody and he ends up being right. Well, it's like, well, yeah, he should be arrogant. Like, that's not much of a of an arc. unless. Well, understanding. okay.
0: Okay, well, let's yes. And both of you here and and say that um, say that they come that he is allowed to put everything together, but the one place he's not allowed to put it together is security. The, the, the head of the, of, of the Federation is like, there's, there's like, I, I pick the security for every ship. You can pick a lot of crew, but I pick security because I'm the one who you can trust these people. And he tries to pick Tasha and then he's, he's saddled with Worf. So you get a little bit of both of that.
1: Let's push that even further, Ron. I mean, who's the, why is this Picard's mission at all? maybe Picard is installed as captain because he was plucked by somebody else out of the ranks of Starfleet and is like look we need you to captain this mission but we're not going to give you any decision making power you know what if uh, you might not like this but like what if what if Riker is the company man that is sort of like the the Rick Flag and suicide squad of whatever this mission is and they pick you know Riker is is the first officer and there's some admiral that put the crew together and they basically hire Picard on as like a journeyman captain to be like, look, you're gonna you're gonna lead this team. And Picard's whole thing is like, I don't want to do that. Like he's he's Tom Hanks in a uh, League of Their Own. You know what I mean? Like, it's like hmm. I don't I don't know what the hell to do with these people. I like I, that.
3: I like that. He's, he's drunk on French wine, and they wake <laughs> him up, he's in the sonic shower just with a bottle of wine, and they're like gung. gung, gung, gung. Open the door.
2: because <laughs> like, I just think like, what do too, you there, want? There could be something fun about like, I feel like, and maybe this is just my perception of how Patrick Stewart plays the character, but it's like everyone on that ship is beneath John Luke. Like oh, he, he almost he's respects all the time. almost no one on that ship except Guinan. And even guy <laughs> in, I feel like he's like, I only respect you because I know you've been alive for like 10 million years. Exactly. Uh, but, but everyone else, I feel like he's like, I have more experience than you. I'm definitely classier than you. I listen to classical music and I make model ships. I know. <laughs> like, I read Sherlock ships. Holmes. Yeah. What do you read? <laughs> so I feel like that could be something too. It's like, I like the idea, like, Picard doesn't pick this team. It's picked for him. He's plucked there. Mm. He's like, I don't want... Th- these like who is this this kid with a visor and this doctor has her stupid little son running around and this telepath who i don't want reading my mind i don't need a therapist on my ship like i like the idea that it's like picard has to come around to all of them
0: yeah don't you mean genius son come on get it together (sighs)
1: Guys, we have genius. can we wrestling? actually show yes. card slapping Wesley Crusher? Can we actually show him child abusing I feel like Wesley that's Crusher? his
2: last day in Starfleet.
1: <laughs> Dude, I, I feel
3: like when they get back to port, Beverly Crusher runs out onto the deck and her son runs up to her. And they get to hug. I don't need this damn kid <laughs> I'm, I'm, on I'm ship with at you, all. And I co sign. I don't need him at all. Co-signed. Yeah, I disagree. I like well, a six, well, okay, 16 wait. year here's, old genius here's one thing.
2: on here's the one deck. Thing that, we didn't, that we didn't talk about that makes Star Trek The Next Generation different from the original series and mm. whether we should include this or not. The original series was there on a five year mission. And whether it's implied or not, it's definitely not important to that series, but they're just a bunch of scientists, a bunch of explorers next generation they make it known that there are families on this ship that a lot of this is more recreational than it is just an exploration ship in fact in star trek generations like when the ship is going down it's like you see all the kids that have been in this ship like trying to find their parents and everything so it's like do we want to acknowledge too like that's another reason why picard would just be like you're sticking me on a you know a princess cruise line essentially mm. I am way above this assignment and that's also, where it starts.
1: There's also something interesting to the idea that they're on the Enterprise, which is like this, in our version, could be this old kind of junked out ship that has been retrofitted into a pleasure cruise. And I don't, you know, I don't want to make it seem like this is a Royal Caribbean type of cruise, <laughs> but if, if I, it I, is I, something it's yeah, more I like say, we're taking
3: a tour of the galaxy. No, no, I, I get it. I got to say how much I hate that. <laughs> I, I got to, but, yeah. you know, cause I don't want to, I don't want to run out later and I'm not, I'm sorry to use that pejorative run. It'll be the last time, but I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't want it to build up to where I just spaz out later. I think it being old and junky. Yes. It being sent out on some garbage. Yes. Pleasure cruise generation ship. No, I don't see why that has to be. And I think it's still, we could demean him enough by giving up a bunch of weird bums you know what I'm saying? And and, and I think also, if we're gonna go that direction, in canon, and again, I gotta get this out before I run out. In canon, the reason why Worf gets on Picard's ship is Worf like knows Klingon. He knows how to, he, he negotiates Klingon all the time. He gets them, he is, I don't wanna say magical cracker, but he is that, that person who went down to the jazz clubs of the 1920s without fear. That's what he is for the Klingons. So if he's going to have a bunch of, like, I think if you dispatch, if you dispatch somebody on a mission where they handpick the crew and you have some part in it because of your diplomacy, but you got a, you got a robot genius for what reason you got a blind engineer for what reason you got a, you got a security that, that has to be the Jackie Robinson of Klingons for what reason. And then they put him into a situation where they've kind of baked in this mission for him on an old crappy ship. So the wet so that if all these guys get lost, screw it, who cares? Now that that does butt up against like, why would you want to lose data? If data is one of a kind, why would you want to lose them? But maybe data is one of a kind because he sucks and they don't see a use for him.
1: I don't know. I mean, maybe data is not one of a kind in our version of the timeline either. And and what if what if it's actually a punishment?
0: People have been so annoyed by Picard's uh, arrogance that they're like, oh, you think you're so great? All right, how about you take the worst crew, and do something with it? And he's just saddled with people that he that the the, the Federation doesn't uh, like really like. So well, it like is said, a misfit I, I, story. I, like Isn't I that said, what you I, just
3: said? I I would just rather they be an experiment yeah. than the damn bad news bears. They don't have to be the bad news bears. They can be a new experiment, the next generation
1: guy we're, we're circling a question here that I think dovetails with who is the villain, and that is what is the mission of this enterprise? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, Billy, you talked about, like, let's figure out the character dynamics and the mission might grow organically from that. I think we're at the point where we kind of have to start nailing that down because there is a question then, like, look, if Picard is somebody that is being tested or is on the outs with the Federation or is generally not wanting to be there, whatever it is, why is he there? Why is the first Klingon in the Federation on this mission with them? Why do they have this motley other crew? Why are the families there? There's a lot of why's that ideally have a single answer here.
2: Right? I have a I have like a, a, a nugget of an idea that maybe you guys can water into a, a nugget plant um, What if they what if okay, what if there's a planet and they want this planet to join the Federation?
0: Yes. And they've
2: they've assembled this crew and they send them out there. And Picard is actually not a negotiator at this point. He's like a master strategist. He's a war he's a war guy. And they they realize like they sent us because they want us to take this planet by force. You give us this Klingon and everything. And and it's almost our story is the birth of the the master negotiator, Picard. This is where he learns like we could take this by force and we could make them be a part of us, but what does that actually do for them? And what does that do for us? I know that that, that that's not a fully fledged idea, but maybe it's a jumping off point.
0: Well, and I like the idea that they send Worf specifically because maybe as far as they can tell, this culture is a lot like uh, the Klingon culture. And so they think maybe he would be able to
1: guess some of their possible moves or well how about this what if the what if this version of the enterprise is a colonizing ship what if they're going to a planet that was under klingon control and as part of this this new peace treaty they're bringing all these human families to go live there and set up shop and then when they get into the space of this planet suddenly they realize it's a trap or not not necessarily it's a trap but like they're not gonna be allowed to the surface. And in fact, it turns into, it turns into one of those classic Picard situations that he has to negotiate himself out, that like, oh, they've, they have, uh, this is where it gets complicated, and I feel like it should, because that is very next generation. Like, the Klingons pulling out of their space has given them an opportunity to make some sort of military move that's going to threaten the Federation in some way. And so the Enterprise arrives thinking that they're already on this very delicate mission of like, we're moving Federation families onto this planet in what we think is going to be a diplomatic strategy, but it turns out this planet is gearing up for war in some way that nobody sees or expects. And so now not only do I need to save all the families on my ship, but I need to diffuse what is going to be a 9-11 or a Pearl Harbor for the Federation.
2: I just like the idea that in the
1: end, they realize we
2: could end this. They have their, you know, they have their A-bomb or whatever it is, it's like, we could end this, but they choose not to. They choose to find a way around it.
1: I don't think that's the end. I think that's your act one turn. I think you establish, that's Chekhov's gun. You establish from the beginning, as soon as they realize this is not what we thought it was, the nuclear option becomes the thing that you deliberate through the whole movie. That's the sort of Damocles hanging over the head of this story of like we have on board a weapon that could sterilize this planet and kill this species because we are discovering more and more that all they want to do is nuke Earth or whatever it might be, and then it becomes it becomes that tense, you know, David Fincher's or or even Denny Villeneuve's sort of story where it's like should we do that? And for like the first half of act two, everything is telling them you absolutely should do that. There's no other way you're going to get out of this. And the second half of the movie becomes, how do we get out of this without doing that?
0: I would love for, uh, I'd love for that idea. And I also would love for Worf to be the guy who's actually tells them, I just think about if you guys decided to do that to Klingons and, and, I would love for Worf to be the guy who sort of teaches. That would be hilarious to have the guy who who is known for war teach Picard what it's like to do to be diplomatic. I don't know. I just think that's an interesting turn and, a, and an interesting take on Worf. Uh, especially seeing as how, as Ed has pointed out, they kind of did Warf wrong. Don't, I don't, I don't disagree, times. Ron.
2: I in, in this version, I almost see. I don't know if you guys watched Lost back in the day, but I almost see Warf as like Mister Echo, like he's hmm. this very like peaceful. I don't want violence type of man, but then when he has to, like he is, he's, kind he's of very like good a at it. One shot and you are done. Like you didn't even know what hit you.
3: So yeah, like to, to to yet. So to like run down. No, well, yeah, to, to, but to yes, and that it, in canon, he had to be very reserved. And that's why he's so weird to his own people. He had to be very reserved because any outburst was looked upon poorly anytime that uh, I wonder how I can relate to that. Um, anytime, he had, <laughs> anytime he had an outburst, it was super looked upon poorly. Anytime he used his increased physical prowess, on, on, on the field of, of play, he would ruin these kids. And then, you know, he would have major trauma from ruining kids. by playing. he's trying to play a kid's game. They're too weak. He destroys one of them. Their parents are like, look what you brought this thing into the playground. It ruined my kid. You know, he's got that sort of baggage. So yeah, he would be almost, he can he can be almost monk-like and much like Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson had to be the coolest cat, <laughs> coolest cucumber in the bunch, man from all that stuff they were throwing at him. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But in the, in the course of this story, he could really cut loose at some point and be a fresh Klingon warrior and show that like it, under the proper circumstances, do that. You know what I'm saying? But the, it, yeah, I, I love that part. But I'm just saying, why can't it be? I don't know, man. The discovery, when Picard discovers that somebody done snuck, and I think it should be snuck, one of these because I think one of these situations where when a military is this big, they always have people working across purposes. And I know that in the new versions of Star Trek, they have all this Section 31 and they have all this espionage and stuff, even in the Kelvin universe and, and subsequent movies, they have Section 31 and espionage and stuff. So I don't want to get in that mire. But why can't it be that like Homeboy thinks he's going out for a simple mission with this new experimental crew? It turns out to be more crucial than they thought, like an episode. Like they usually just go down to the planet, try to do some regular diplomatic stuff and get in way over their heads. I think something similar to that. And I think in the end, this planet's ready to go to nuclear war and they have to be the people to stop it. Uh, And if they can't stop it, then, yes, they have this mother bomb that this other not Section 31, but some other part of the Federation goes, yeah, we sit you out there to do our do our you know, for prime directive thing and all that stuff. But if worse comes to worse, just blow them up. But I don't think you could tell Picard, hey, go nuke some guys. We're the Federation and you go tell Picard, yeah, it's an option to go nuke some guys. I don't think that's how it goes down. I think if it hit, you
1: know. I mean, I, when I when I was positing that, I think it's, it's more that it's just understood that we have a worst case scenario on board, but like it's not going to, you know, it's very much couched as this is your last option right this is your final option but then it becomes a situation where there are members of his own crew be you know it's it's very much like that beat uh at the end of armageddon the asteroid drilling movie where it's like no we're gonna we're just gonna detonate this on the surface and whatever happens happens and they have that tense standoff about are we going to keep drilling or not that's michael bay but that that ethical quandary of like do we use this thing we know we have that will be a final solution no questions asked or do we continue down a road that is feeling less and less viable i think is a as a potent question for a a drama and and i would like to add in at some point I, i would
0: like there to be like when you get down to the planet that there's obviously people who don't want war who were involved with that? I, I just because I would love to. I, I just it it it, it, the, it bothers me that the whole planet is involved in the same thought process. I guess. In, well, in this, if they were the
1: Borg, then they all would all be would
0: be. Okay. In
1: the same thought process. Now
0: that now, if you add in that, that makes it a little more interesting to me.
1: Just oh, because. What is? What
0: is somebody beeping in? Oh no. Oh of course we just started to figure out where we were going this is all right i'm bringing it up
1: gentlemen so good to see you here i can't believe how productive we've been despite this pandemic we're selling movies left and right the money keeps ballooning in my bank account i'm sure come the holidays you guys will have nominal bonuses it'll be great thanks awesome (laughs) all right so here it is guys you may not know this but I've already done a significant amount of development on this script. And me and my writers, Bob Orsi and Philip Kurtzman, I believe that's his name, uh, have already come up with the skeleton of a structure that I want you guys to use. And here's what it was. I had brunch with Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy, it was told to me by an assistant, played a villain in a Star Trek movie. And I said, Tom, I need you back. I will pay you $50 million. And of course he says yes, because who says no? Here's the problem. He saw the script and he backed out, but we're still using the script. So we don't have Tom Hardy, but we need Shinzon, the the evil clone of Captain Jean-Luc Picard. I don't know. They tell me these words make sense to be the villain in this movie. And we need him to be leading some sort of an insurrection, because I guess that was the name. I don't know. I don't know how this works. They tell me things, I tell you things, you give me a movie that makes me money. That's how it works. Use Shinzen, not gonna be Tom Hardy, unfortunately. I'm sure we can get a soap opera actor who will be just as good. Gentlemen, have a great day.
2: And yeah, he did he wrote a whole script and he didn't even know that it's Alex Kurtzman, not Philip. I hope he called him Philip the entire time.
1: Probably did. I mean, yeah. He calls Ed Ned half the time, so I don't know. Yep. <laughs> so that yeah. was
2: yeah. That was um. That was Star Trek the the tenth one. Ah, oh, that was a terrible, terrible movie. Uh, I don't even remember what it was called now. Um.
1: Uh, we can look it up real quick. Star, Star Trek.
2: Trek. Was, uh, that was
3: Nemesis. Nemesis. Oh,
2: yeah. Oof. Nemesis was awful. Um. Also, I never once bought that Tom Hardy could. Be <laughs> Patrick Stewart. <laughs> like, even when they reveal the twist in that movie, I was like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> um, so, but Shinzon, look, like, he was—I uh, I do remember—he was a clone of Picard that def- that sided with the Romulans, who in in TNG, they're kind of the the Klingon, for you know, they're the the Borg and the Romulans are kind of the two big bads of, of Star Trek TNG. Um, wasn't
1: uh, Eric Bana a Romulan in He in- was
2: he was um Interesting. that's when, I was going to say in, in that, that maybe timeline, the
0: planet is Romulans maybe the planet we're going to is a Romulan planet Well wasn't
2: per the Romulus Kelvin timeline was dis-
1: wasn't that planet destroyed
2: No Romulus was destroyed in the regular timeline which is oh. why they went back Oh And then Vulcan was destroyed in the Kelvin timeline and you have to assume if they don't do something that Romulus will also be destroyed again in this I don't know Mm. This is time travel. Mm. <laughs>
1: um, anyways, Peter's really throwing a monkey wrench in with this one. Picard clone. It's actually
0: not a. It's not that big a monkey wrench. Like maybe, maybe evil Picard is the guy on the planet making these two uh, groups.
1: Uh, oh, that's a want- cop out. I, I, I. Sorry, not to be a no-ander because I, I do hate that. But I feel like trying to blame war on like some mastermind who is. I feel like that's just against the ethos of the next generation, which is very much about like, no, there are realistic reasons to go to war. And like it's a matter of trying to find a way to take a third rail option as opposed to just blame it on some dude. Can you know? we I, can uh, we uh, can
2: we make Shizor a or Shinzor? I think Shizor is from Star Wars. Shinzor. I think it's uh, it's I can we Shinzon. can we make little Tom Hardy a crew member? And it's like we, he's a mysterious crew member and it's not, maybe in this movie we don't even realize that for like a movie or two that he's actually like a Picard clone, but it's always like he kind of knows things about Picard that maybe no one else does or, you know, maybe he's in Starfleet and he's the one that chose Picard for this because he knows Picard better than anyone because he is Picard. I'm just saying like, can we throw him in a, like, let's, let's take him out of whatever role he was in in those original movies and turn it on its head. If he Uh was the bad guy clone in that movie, can he be a good guy crew member that they find out later on is also Picard or something like that? Like, I like that tragic when he dies, then, then I mean, you know,
0: Peter's Peter's generally doesn't even go to these movies. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I
2: hate this cop out of, of like, Peters throws us something and then we like scribble it on a note card and throw it in the back of a scene and we've fulfilled the mission. Like I would like to try to like for once this season.
0: Well, he did really say he was, it in. he said he was the bad guy though. So do you want to make, we, but
2: I'm saying, why does that have to be the bad guy? Right? Can we plant the bad guy? In? Long con?
3: I, I get, I okay.
1: get it. I like I'm it. Bad man. guy, yeah, long con man. boom. Okay. That, that's great. Is, is there a cloning storyline that has to do with the enterprise's mission? Or it's or the fact that there are all these families on board? Is there some sort of cloning story beat that would both justify Shinzon and give us that why we were looking for a little bit earlier?
3: See, I, I think there's something to... If we're talking about the Federation going to destroy something, if there's a place where Romulans are making something that is super powerful that can destroy us, oh. I could see the Federation okaying a mission to go explore what the situation is and if need be, blow it up or destroy it. Take action against it, yeah. What
1: if, I mean, what if the Federation is basically like the Iran nuclear inspectors, right? So it's like as part of the Klingon truce, they gave us the permission to go and inspect their weapon sites and we can go from there but I mean, just yes, ending what you're saying Ed, if the whole idea is like this is a diplomatic mission on the heels of this historic peace treaty. That's an interesting, that's an interesting way to play it. If the Romulans were like under control of the Klingons, maybe even the Romulans were the Klingon weapons manufacturers, right? Like they were arming the Klingon empire and now it becomes, we're going to go and check out what the Romulans are doing currently. And it makes a lot of sense. We
0: don't have to talk about this at all, but it could be part of the, our our head cannon that, Uh, the Romulans would be losing a bunch of money and uh, with the peace treaty and wouldn't want a peace treaty. I mean, yeah, it doesn't have to be included in it, but that, that could be, you know, a back sort of backdoor reasoning.
3: uh, And and also, and there's always reasons for Romulans to destabilize two allies getting together. If they can destabilize the Klingon and and the Klingon's introduction to the Federation, if they can destabilize that some way, I think that should accomplish, that can we can make that accomplish some goal for them.
0: Yeah. You know I mean? Absolutely.
2: I mean, if that's hey. the case, unless I'm just kind of misreading this, like, do we just make the planet like Klingon? Like, do we do we just make or the Klingon homeworld so that it's like and it's a Klingon
3: home? Oh dude, yes, yes, yes. It's a Klingon home world that has
1: Maybe Romulan
3: stuff on it and Romulan agents on it doing stuff and whatever the hell is happening over there in the end yeah war finds out that we might we might have tried to blow up all his homies <laughs> and and as as part of an expedient diplomatic situation but Picard uses the super diplomacy powers and this is a movie some military strategy to diffuse it to the point where it doesn't go all-out war I think that's but, fine
0: but some great action scenes between Romulans and federations and Klingons happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the the key to fleshing out this story, yes to all that. And the key to fleshing out this story becomes like, you need the very specific specifics of like, all right, what is the nature of the relationship between the Klingons and the Romulans? What do the Klingons want? What do the Romulans want? What does the Federation want? Because it's within all of those competing needs and desires that you find what a, what the conflict well becomes.
2: so the way that we're pitching it it seems like you know if the if the federation and klingons have been at war for a while and the federation the romulans have been at war for a while they are war allies and now for the klingons to be like actually you know what like we're gonna try ending this war we're gonna try going with them i'm sure that wouldn't make romulans very happy so yeah. It logically, I think that part of it makes a lot of sense to me, like the Romulans probably either fear the Klingons now or they're trying to tell the or they're trying to like warn the Klingons like the deal you are about to make is not good for you and we'll show you why. And even if they... Even if they sabotage, if they're the ones that create clone Picard, they're like, look, this great warrior did this horrible thing. And it turns out like it's not Picard. It's his freaking clone that they made, which is kind of a little bit of nemesis, what it already is. But well, I,
1: I, I, just listening to what you were saying, Billy, I mean, again, all of Star Trek is allegory. So what if the Klingons are Russia and the Romulans are North Korea? And there is, you know, there's this backdoor sort of handshake yeah. deal. And then if Russia were to suddenly try to, you know, were to sign some crazy, and this is kind of what happened at the end of the Cold War. I mean, it's like if Mm -hmm. Russia signs some Mm -hmm. crazy disarmament agreement with the United States, how does North Korea react? And maybe in this world, North Korea isn't enriching uranium. Maybe they're creating clones. Maybe they're creating, maybe they're doing illegal biological experiments and that's, you know, they're creating an army. I don't know, Now it's starting to sound like Star Wars, but creating a clone army, something like that. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, there is, again, there's an interesting ethical dilemma there that Star Wars never got into. If they go to Romulus or whatever this, you know, mystery planet, even if it's the Klingon homeworld, to see what the Romulans are doing, because they suspect that the Romulans are making weapons, but they're like, yeah, they're making weapons, but they're making people. It becomes like, well, we can't destroy their weapons factories if the weapons factories are actually churning out people. Yeah, oh, that's
2: interesting. The The moral quandary of like, are these really people?
1: Or yeah. Which Can is we even a consider consider them little bit them of what commands. Into
2: Darkness tried to do because the weapons, you know, what Khan was doing is people were essentially super soldiers in a sense, but they were still people. And that's, again, it's like, I, I don't think that's a bad pitch at all. Like, we kind of want to take some concepts. It seems like we're taking a few concepts from Star Trek movies and like, here's a better presentation of the stuff that didn't work from Nemesis, the stuff that didn't work from Into Darkness and updating a little bit. Like, I'm not opposed to it.
1: I, I And I also think, too, that there it becomes a an interesting exploration of how... Nature versus nurture, right? If, if there's somebody on the ship, and I don't know if it's Riker, or I don't know if it's even Wharf, I don't know, but there's somebody on the Enterprise that is making the argument, these are genetically bred to be warriors. They are enemy combatants. We don't want to kill them, but if we do kill them, it is justified based on the law of war. It's also very easy to say, again, it's kind of the Borg question again, so it's, we're, we keep circling some of these ethics, if they are literally being made to be soldiers and have never even had another option, isn't our moral imperative to give them another option, not to kill them and buy into the idea that they are just soldiers?
2: I mean, that's essentially Worf's whole journey. He was born yeah, going to be a warrior and he was given that choice and this okay, is okay. his
3: opportunity. Okay, this is who they're making. I think this could be interesting. There's a race called the the, the Jim Hadar and they're basically super hardcore warriors from birth but they're they're born they're made with this thing where they need a drug every like 15 20 hours to be distributed distributed to them to make them be viable and not just freak the hell out but to, mm-hmm. but you have a totally obedient super you got a bunch of captain americas slash black panthers that need a drug every 15 hours so they're totally on your team forever if they're making something similar to that, the Hadar basically when the Jem'Hadar got unleashed upon the world of DS nine, they almost took it over like that. And they were just foot soldiers for, for some dudes in the dominion. So if the, if the Romulans are making something like that on a Klingon planet, yeah. you know what I mean? I That's a big threat. That's a big like that. threat.
0: And like and let me lot. say that also uh, this, I mean, look, uh, obviously we're not doing the Borg in this movie, but I think that it, it, It is fuel for the Borg as they see chaos uh, uh, erupting in the world with these desperate uh, cultures (laughs) uh, uh, so different that they never really coalesce. Oh, sure, they came to an agreement at the end, but they never coalesce and they never will be able to coalesce. It's always a ticking time bomb. And that brings the Borg there to want to assimilate eventually down the road just pointing it out for yeah, just, just the later if, movies dude but I, you know yes why? and that as far oh, as head
3: canon, it's like the predators right our hotness our conflagrations attracted them across the light years you know what i'm saying yeah. for them to come mess with us or something or like how so, in the avengers movies we've announced ourselves on the on the galactic scale sometimes you announce yourself on the galactic scale and aliens with pointy ears show up to give you technology Sometimes you announce yourself on the galactic scale and robot monsters come and eat you.
2: Well, that's how first contact happened, Mm -hmm. you know, taking all the way back to that movie. Like, that's essentially what we did. You know, James Cromwell sends the signal like, oh, Earth is ready. So that's Mm -hmm. when the Vulcans came. But my question is, okay, I, I love this pitch. Everything about it, I think, feels very Star Trek. The only question I still have remaining is where does Shinzon fit into
1: this? Well, and I was going to ask, how does it end? And he, so let me give a pitch that maybe answers both questions. I think at the end, the Federation allows the Jem'Hadar to exist, and I think maybe Shinzon is the leader of the Jem'Hadar. If they are, if if our version of the Jem'Hadar are basically superpowered clones that need this this serum or whatever Ed's talking about. Um, you know, I think the least Star Trek thing we could do would be to kill all those people. So at the end, we're going to have to find some sort of a treaty where they exist. Maybe we stop producing more of them. But if they exist, they're going to need a leader. And I think that becomes Shinzon. And, he, and here's the ultimate putover for the Borg. If Shinzon becomes the training, you know, the leader of the Jem'Hadar and they're given their own ship or even their own planet or their own country or whatever, where they could be called upon in the Federation's hour of need. I mean, first act of your sequel, the Borg annihilate all the Jem'Hadar. And that puts oh, them over. over for yep,
3: yep. They beat their ass and puts them right over.
1: I love it. Yeah. But well, we should start casting this thing which I know everybody has been waiting desperately to get to. So guys, we've got, you know, we've got at the very least on the bridge, Jean-Luc Picard, William Riker, Commander Data. Yeah, Uh, We've we've got Deanna Troy. We've got um, Geordi LaForge. We've got, I have my notes here because I'm not as well. Did we say Data already? We did say Data. We've got, Got got Worf who were saying and in our version, Worf may be your your second lead, if not your first lead. I mean, he's your way into the world. Um, and then maybe do we want a Guinan? I always like the Guinan character, but- I think your
2: Guinan is like, that's how you get your exposition dumps. Because yes. you never have to explain how she knows things that just she needs to know, that the characters need to know. She just does,
1: and she's great. And and I think we need a Beverly Crusher because I think that her backstory with Picard is pretty essential. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And
0: so so then. And I'm very important. I already have somebody for Wesley Crusher.
1: Oh dear God!
2: Come I, I, Holland. I'm I only gonna, accept Ed's you. idea, which is at the very end of the. That's movie. why I'm Wait. saying he shows it, up.
1: Tom Holland shows up, hugs Beverly Crusher. It's Will Byers from Stranger Things. Oh that's that's, that is good. That is good. Because he's the most annoying child actor you could possibly imagine. (laughs) 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 Um, so we've got all those people. I think, you know, based on the story that we're telling here, we probably also want to cast some sort of Klingon leader um, who can be, you know, having the standoff with Picard. We probably need some sort of Romulan leader to make it a three-way standoff. And then yeah. if we want to cast somebody other than our Picard as our Shinzon in the great tradition of Star Trek Nemesis, we can maybe do that. But we'll come around to everybody. Let's just start on the bridge. Who's got pitch? I know, Billy, you've got pitches for everybody.
3: Um, <laughs> well, I, want to, hear, I want to hear this vaunted list. I want to hear this vaunted yeah, list. Yeah, I want to
1: hear Billy's list first wait i just want to throw one out there because mm-hmm. i feel so strongly about it and then we'll get the billies because he knows better than me anyway um john ham as Riker, i feel like is a slam dunk oh see i went younger with my okay. casting okay uh, yeah but, but I, I, I don't think older.
2: that's wrong that's okay. interesting because like the t with with the original series they were all relatively around the same age group I feel like next generation fluctuates a lot more with the age range. Yeah. So some of my castings I tried to make a little bit more disparate and then match other characters that fit with that click, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you want me to just go down my list? Do it, I baby. Virtually. Do it.
1: All right. Damn. So, for Worf,
2: the only person that I could see is Worf and really like selling it. Like, I can't, I didn't even think of a backup it was Winston Duke. I think Winston Duke. Prove to me that he can play this big, tough warrior, but also have like this very zen, stoic heart to him. So that was my choice for. Wolf. Okay,
3: can, can I, can I, can I? Yes, add that. I have him on my list. He is number one on my list, and the reason why is also the acting ability. If you just watch, you know, that Spencer for Hire movie, or you just watch Black Panther, you can see that he's 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 magnificent but you don't necessarily think he can play the quieter moments. And he definitely can. He can go down into the lower register and be not huge. And you already know that when Wharf goes full Wharf on that ass, he can get there as well. So that is why I would second that. And for, for when I get my turn, I'm not going to say anybody, but Winston
1: Duke. You know, I'm, I'm going to just throw in there. I, I honestly, I hear everything you guys are saying. I honestly think this guy could be better. Christopher Jackson, who played the original George Washington in the musical Hamilton, Mm. I think would murder this in terms of having like a vulnerability with the regal presence and the ability to go big and angry, but, you know, fights himself over it. I think that dude would absolutely murder it.
3: Oh I, I see right. what I see what you see. Uh, looks looks wise. He's, he's got big ass eyebrows. He's already halfway there. He's <laughs> <laughs> he Bon Jovi. He's halfway there. Well, so was, I, uh, yeah.
0: What was Cumberbatch already in the uh, Cumber Cumber Datch? You know Cumberbatch Bumber, was Bumberlatch?
3: Cumber, Dude, you know Cumberbatch was in uh Into Darkness. I know. Are you,
0: are you
1: honest to God pitching him for Wharf? No, I was pitching him for Picard. Oh okay which is terrible. But anyway, Billy, keep going. Yes. Keep going with you. So for, for, for Jordy,
2: who is my all-time favorite TNG character, by the way, I think Jordy is kind of in a way your comic relief, but he's also hands down the smartest one on that whole ship. Um, I just, I sometimes the easiest answer is the right one. I think it's Donald Glover. I think Donald Glover is your Jordy.
1: Hmm. hmm. Interesting. Do you think he's too, like, Donald Glover era, like community era Donald Glover, I get, but I feel like he's too cool. Like he played Lando Calrissian. I I, I just think he can pull it
2: off. I think I think when Donald Glover gets excited about the right project, also it's like to, that's like saying like, well, he's played so many like darker and serious characters that he can't do it. It's like, well, no, he can. Like, he I definitely it. think he'd be. He's a good actor. actor. I think he could do it. I think you have to have that lovability. Like LeVar Burton Find me one person that doesn't absolutely love that guy, and I feel the same quality is there for Donald Glover.
1: Yeah, fair enough. All right, we'll we'll come back around to all of these. Moving on right, though, sure. let's get this list uh, done.
2: My my Doctor Crusher, uh, I kind of I I I just picked based on like looks, but also acting ability. Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, oh, that's, that's not of, bad
1: actually. That's, that's the
2: age range I was thinking of. Um, Now, this is where I I very much deterred and went a different way with Riker and kind of like the age group of of that whole thing. Mm -hmm. I went with Sebastian Stan. I think that Sebastian Stan kind of has that that look. I think we saw with Captain America Civil War, he can get a little bit bigger. Um, So I, I definitely see him in that role. I also think he gets a little bit of the female population through the door. He gets my wife through the door. I don't know um, if he has
1: the swagger as an actor.
2: I, I have a conversation um, with my wife. I'll give her uh, your number after this. She will convince you how wrong you actually are.
1: All right. Go um, ahead.
2: <laughs> for Troy, I had my girl Naomi Scott. I feel like she is a perfect match for Sebastian Stan. I also think that she's underrated, and I think she keeps picking the wrong projects. So I think this could be a good project for her. For Data, I had two choices. I think you could go two different ways with it. I think an obvious choice, kind of more based on looks, would be Tom Hiddleston. But I think in terms of nailing the tone of Data, I actually might go with Alan Tudyk. That was my second choice, and I really liked him. Um, Mm. For Guinan, again, this one feels like it's obvious, but uh, I'm going Lupita Nyong'o. I think that she has the... The Gravitas, um, I, at first I thought, could you put another comedian in there as like an ode to Whoopi Goldberg, but I, it just didn't fit with me. And the hardest one, which is Picard, I really was, I tried to get the looks out of my head because I think like you can change looks, you can do whatever you want, you can shave someone's head and get them there. But I really tried to go off energy. I tried to go off of who has that presence Who do I buy as kind of like I could see them having the same kind of feeling as Patrick Stewart? And the name that I came to was Daniel Craig. I think Daniel Craig in my head could deliver those Jean-Luc Picard speeches with that intensity. I do believe that he is uh, a younger version of that same character. So that is my casting for TNG. Interesting.
1: There's okay. some in there that I feel like are nice, and there's some in there that leave me scratching my head. Um, but let's go. Uh, let's go through it. R- Ed, Ron, do you have any? Do you have any strong feelings about any of these characters? Well, okay, I had one for
0: uh, Riker, and I'm sure you guys aren't going to like it, but it isn't who you think it's going to be. Uh, I think Carl uh, Urban as Riker.
1: Ron, we're in the Kelvin timeline. So he's already McCoy. Is he a I forgot McCoy.
0: <laughs> I forgot that he played that guy because he didn't have the beard, and I did not recognize his face. So you're right. We can't do that. All right. <laughs> All right. He Fair played enough, that. Though. I didn't even realize he was McCoy. Frankly, that was the honestly. weird
2: thing about the the JJ one was that some characters like Carl Urban, they were like straight on impressions of the old ones, whereas like. Uh, Uhura is like completely different character Than what Michelle Nichols did with it So it's like some of my casting choices are like Like Bryce Dallas Howard i was just like you kind of look like her And then others I'm like no I just think you could do the part
1: Yeah No I get that and I think that that's That's going to be essential to, to You know making a new cast work is, is just The right balance of like Okay this is an homage to the old And this is a new for a, for a good reason Actually,
0: you know, going with boys casting, would uh Anthony Starr play a good Riker?
2: Hmm. Remind me who who
0: that is. He's, he's playing Homelander. Homelander. Oh, okay. I mean, he's scary as Homelander, but he could play a lot of other parts, I, I assume.
3: Well, you know, you know, it's really crazy. You, you said Homelander, and that's a flying guy. I honestly said the, the, the Henry Cavill that I see in things that aren't Superman Ooh. could play Riker. I mean, yeah. especially throw that throw that goatee on him, that that Mission Impossible goatee on him. He's yeah. got that. He's he's sexy to women. Has a hint of menace. To see him rippling in the Starfleet uniform, it's gonna set the ladies off. And uh, I and don't he's,
0: have a problem with that.
3: He's got, but also, and I thought if we wanted to go different, uh, the guy I should have I should have ended with Cavill. But if we wanted to go different, and we think he's too big of a star to be in this, to say exposition to a bald guy Um, jay hernandez who plays um uh uh, freaking magna pi on tv he's handsome he's about 40 and he's an action dude he he can really get it in but like i said i think if we could get somebody like henry cavill or somebody like that that'd be cool but like if we were going a different direction jay hernandez could could do it he's a he's a buff guy he's a handsome guy and uh he's he's a tv star who might be
1: ready to make the jump Interesting. I gotta say I'm for Riker, I'm still on board with John Hamm. I know that he's you know 50-ish now, but he still has a, a good youthful energy to him. And I think that making Riker and Picard contemporaries is not a bad thing for the show, especially if or excuse me, for the for the movie series, especially if we lean into this idea of of questioning if Riker's loyalties are to the captain or to the Federation. And Making Riker somebody who can have the presence and sort of the gravitas to actually challenge Picard, um not I to just, say that I, some I don't know like I, I like I like, the,
2: I, I like aesthetically I just feel like the reason why it also like you know I I like the idea of Picard being younger or sorry of uh, of Riker being younger also because it's like. You'd expect the younger, hungrier guy to be a little bit more of the company man. I think there's mm-hmm. there's also kind of that thing like, are you angling to take my spot? Because Riker so much as says it in the, the mm-hmm. next generation where he's like, yeah, I'm going to take that chair from you. I'll wait till you're done, but I'm going to take it from you. You know? Right, and I but I also love that, that yeah. point between them. No, no, I, I was
3: just gonna say, I also think that this is something that could be worked out in our 15th rewrite once we get it cast. We can like, there maybe if he's a little bit older, there's more of an urgency to him trying to take this stuff. Whereas if he's younger, there's more of a, a old man in a few years, I'm gonna have your spot. And it's the same thing, but it's just slightly different, slightly different lines. So I would love to see John Hamm and Henry Cavill and a couple other people, uh, your homeboy, uh, Billy, in the room battling it out. Um, Picard is hard. Like I, I, I picked Bryce Dallas Howard myself and uh, she's 39 years old. People don't really realize that, but she's definitely old enough to have some, some kid like, um, like Crusher, Wesley Crusher, whatever age we decide to make him be. Uh, I also put Christina Hendricks in there just because she's a smoke show. And I would love to have do like I'd be acting like I was sick every day anyway. But uh, (laughs) oh, but, but, but but people don't respect her acting ability. She's had so few opportunities besides maybe Mad Men to really act. And I would love to yep. see her in trauma situations, bandaging up people, bandaging in the future. You know what I mean? I'd love to see that.
2: You, just, I do? think you for that one, you have to do. A, you just do a chemistry test with Picard because it's like mm-hmm. their 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 love affair was such like two old people in a senior citizens home in the show. And I would love to spice it mm. up a little bit and make it yes. a little bit more urgent than it is. Like, oh, maybe you know someday we can spend our you know our golden years together. It's like no, get together now. Do this now. We need we need some sexy romance in this. And I don't well, want I to c- see you, Riker. I don't want to see Jonathan Frakes in a tub with more. <laughs> I don't remember what movie it was in, but I was like, no, this is not the romance I want. Fair <laughs> enough. <it> fair <laughs> enough.
3: Um, okay, so anybody got strong I, ideas on data? I actually came up characters.
0: with somebody. I think I think might be good. Uh, Rami Malik. Uh, am I saying it right? From uh, Mr. Yeah, robot?
2: He's not bad. The thing is, though, it's like it's tough because I feel like Data data has to have this sense of like it's almost like the Terminator in the sense that like you have to act. You have to be really good at acting without emoting because Data is a robot. Like Brent Spiner walked this very fine line of being likable and emoting without giving any emotion at all. Right. and so that's why i said like alan tudyk because i just thought of his performances like imagine if k2so wasn't quite as much of a d- in rogue one um i don't know if aesthetically it's like, it's almost like i wish i could take the aesthetics of tom hall or, or tom Middleston with
3: and the put it with
2: abilities of alan tudyk or i'm just thinking G- of it
3: i'm just thinking of it practically though man if i'm an ageless robot I don't start my ageless robot at fifty-one. I just don't. And Alec Tudick is like fifty-one. You know, I just, I just but he don't also start just that. Looks
2: the same for the past like fifteen years. Like, go back and look at photos of Firefly. Like, the guy looks exactly.
0: I mean, the obviously, then we're going with Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. I just want to well, be no, clear on I that mean- one.
3: I, I honestly, my my picks were all people who I think will, A, age slow, B, slightly younger, and C, have an otherworldly quality to me. And I'll second Rami Malek just because yes, when he acts, he his eyes get really big and he does this and he does that. Listen to him read some copy. Watch him do that weird ad for like, they had an ad for uh, some hotel place or something. He was just like, I like walking in the streets. I like holding hands. I like sitting. It was the it was so off putting because there was no humanity to it. If he acts like he acts as a person, he'd be a perfect data. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think he's gonna look like that for a long time. He's already got a little baggage under his eyes. I think he's gonna look like that for thirty years. Anyway, Dev Patel from Slumdog Millionaire that has grown into a man.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's nice.
3: Dev Patel to me, he has a he he can do the smartness. He can do the still acting. I, I
1: like love that better that guy. than Rami Malik. I like yeah, that better Malek too. Two I, I think mm-hmm. Dev Patel would murder Data. I think that's great. That's a great I mean, pick. That's amazing.
0: Um and this one might be a little out of bounds, but uh Jewel State as um as Troy.
1: Ron with your cult television show casting. Good lord, dude. Hey, <laughs> she hasn't had a chance to do something good again. I think she'd be great. I actually think
3: I...
2: I actually don't. think she would be I'm good so as sorry. as. I think as, she's a fine actress. I think there's just. I wouldn't so even go that far. Better. Ah,
3: okay, I got I got two quick pitches for her. Number one, my baby. Look, Rachel. I think you guys are boring. Okay, <laughs> number one, my number one for for Deanna Troy. Number one, my baby Rachel Vice. I love her. Oh. She's super beautiful and she could do it, but I don't think she she would do it. So the other one, I think. What if Daniel
2: Craig was Picard? Interesting. Ooh. Interesting
3: here. Interesting. I, okay, there you go. Chemistry test, um, even though they're not going to bang. Uh, and hey, also, so like, the
2: original series, by the way, in the movies, it was Scotty and Ahura who hooked up later on, not Spock and Ahura. So we can mix that Absolutely.
3: And, match. and I, I just watched a rewatch of TOS with my girl. I didn't watch every damn episode, but I watched enough early in the series. I'm talking about early, early. They did have Ahura sort of flirt with Spock. It was never really received well. It didn't go anywhere, but it was used to make him be more alien. Like, hey, you got a hot chick hitting on you. What are you, what's your problem? I must meditate. And they're like, ah, you're a weirdo. <laughs> so anyway- uh, and, I, I also re- don't want to cut you up, but
2: real quick, go. I just do want to say, uh, I'm so sorry, Ed, but while you're it's in my a- head, like I actually think Troy works better with Picard than she does with Riker, because if the whole point of Picard is that he's impossible to read. And then there's this one beautiful woman who gets into his head and like, makes him bring his walls down because that's what she does. Like, it thematically makes more sense. I don't know why she would be with Riker over Picard, just from like a storytelling perspective. Anyways. Well,
3: I mean, no, 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 I, but I agree I agree with what you said, but I think it's just like in real life. Some of these beautiful empaths get with the dumbest meatheads ever. Cause sometimes you just need to relax. <laughs> sometimes you just need head. to rest your brain. <laughs> like I don't, I don't have to feel any weird complex feelings around him. He's not thinking about nothing.
2: I'm so sorry, <laughs> Riker fans who were very upset but Riker is kind of a, just a jock dumbass <laughs> i mean that's no.
0: what he's supposed to be though that's his job I know, like I and there's know. places for dumb meatheads they're they're great to we'll, we'll, watch yeah. play sports,
3: for we'll, instance. We'll, we'll call them singularly focused human beings. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, De- Deanna Troy, also, my girl Marina Bikerin, we, we brought her up in one of the last two shows. She played Deadpool's girlfriend as a shorthand for everybody. I just think she's got an otherworldly beautiful quality. And I think she never gets a chance to do anything but smirk and look hot ever since maybe Firefly. She just, I, I smirk, I look hot, I say the snappy lines. To have her be really trying to communicate with somebody empathically to be feeling somebody's emotions to watch her, that beautiful face register other people's emotions and stuff and be affected by stuff i i i don't think she's had a chance to do anything cool like I, that. i totally
2: see it i could see.
0: yeah it. i don't but i'm gonna go ahead and agree with it you because you're better at uh selling your your picks than me
3: you said a lady <laughs> that nobody heard of unless they like watch the CW with their wiener in their hand. I I don't know. (laughs) Let's just beat a lot of the casting process. Also, my only, uh, I like Lupita, but I also like Viola Davis. I mean, black don't crack, and she looks like she's been alive for 200 years while looking like she's 50. And I think she's got the wisdom part. Lupita, I get how otherworldly beautiful she is, but I don't exactly read font of wisdom because I can see that she's a beautiful 31, 36, whatever. I think Viola Davis radiates a sort of wisdom, but I can understand if people would think that she's either too yeah. old, or she's not right or whatever. But I just so think, she radiates
2: I think that's a the wisdom. one character where age almost doesn't matter exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna yeah. say I was gonna say Octavia Spencer for that for that role, because I think that she can sell wisdom and like sort of quiet humanity, uh in a in a, a very convincing way.
3: Well, yeah, so, so we got we got us uh we got us a guy in room. Now uh my uh my for just uh, bring Whoopi Goldberg back if Gaynan
2: is this ageless <laughs> being that like inexplicably I mean, knows more than anyone, like could, I could actually have don't have away. a
3: problem with that. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have any problem with it. I, I think she's gonna come back on Picard uh next year, whenever mm-hmm. that is. Um, all right, so I picked uh kind of weird for LaForge. Uh uh Tyler James Williams, I think is his name, is the kid from Everybody Hates Chris, but he's grown up and he's about oh, 26.
1: That guy's he, great.
3: He's about 26. He radiates a certain intelligence. I just think he, he could be he, and he's impossible to hate, you know, despite the moniker of the show. He, he, and I think LaForge has a lot of that energy. So if we want a young nerd, he is for for all intents and purposes, the, the, the Wesley Crusher, but better because he's LaForge of this crew, a young, smart person who has the answers. Maybe not the experience to do everything, but he has the answers if you let him roll. I would love that. I think
2: I only know him from that show unless he's been in something uh, else I just can't think
3: of. Uh he's in uh Dear White People uh on on Netflix and I could see if you didn't watch that. Um <laughs> No, he's got
1: he that, that dude almost has like a has like a Jaleel White quality to him that I really like. <laughs> Like oh he's... my God,
2: Jaleel White, done. Let's get Urkel to be LaForge. <laughs> you know what's dude.
1: really crazy? Urkel is now like fifty. So it's. Uh,
2: but he, dude, he's he's actually like really buff and in shape.
1: No, I know, I know. He's <laughs> he's not his character. What I'm saying is that everybody. No, no, I know. Chris he's, kid. he's yeah.
2: He's an older. He's an older gent, but.
1: But
3: yeah, look, look up Tyler James Williamson while I vamp on. Um, I my Picard, I picked two people, and I think that they represent different things. I like this Daniel Craig thing, I got to say, I would allow him to be in the room if it was up to me. The other people I would have in there, the f- one of them is a guy named Mark Strong. He was in oh, yeah. The Kingsman. Of course. He, is, he happens to be bald. He
1: he's happens to be British,
3: real. but he's powerful, man. And again, if we're talking about people who could do the speeches, he makes he's an expo dump character in every movie. And every time he has the expo dump, it's beautiful. And I just think he can do this. He can become a leading man. He's 57, but he looks, he's strong. Um, My second choice that I just want to be in the room to freak everybody out as to how old they are is Jude Law. Because Jude Law is A. Jude Jude. Jude Law
2: was on my short list. Okay. Jude Law
3: is A, going bald. B is 47, which is the actual exact age that Picard was at the beginning of TNG. In 1987, Homeboy was 47. And it's just, it's right there. And I think he could beat Picard for a long time. He could do the speeches. The only thing that kind
2: of like, not soured me, but the reason why I put Craig ahead of him is, he's just, to me at least, a a smidge more soft-spoken, I think, than, than when I think of Daniel Craig, it's just like, I it was very hard for me to even think of a time he's cracked a smile. Like, and I kind of feel the same way about Picard where it's just like, he's just so deathly serious, which is why everyone else kind of has to like pick it up around him. Um, But Jude Law just, I, I intrinsically think of kind of like dashing smile, not to say he couldn't, but also like, that's maybe why on my list I put Daniel Craig. Is Ewan McGregor to, uh, like, to, too like funny that's i mean again like i i just i have a hard time picturing him like like he's just so he's so warm-hearted and just very just like I'm yeah bigger, you that's like, kind of what i'm yeah obi-wan but, is like your favorite grandpa whereas i feel like picard is like that grandpa that you're kind of scared of like you love him but you <laughs> to, like, talk to him at christmas you know
0: um there was another guy who's the uh uh the uh, actor from Interstellar, um bald uh black dude. Oh man. Is it like Gyasi, David? Am I saying his name? David
1: Gyasi I think it is. The oh, the guy who dies in Interstellar, like who's on the ship with them? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Oh. He just has a look that I
0: think would be really good. And... He's a little
1: bit he's a little bit the poor man's Jeffrey Wright, not to not to be dismissive of that actor oh um, maybe Jeffrey Wright Jeffrey Wright is Picard interesting
0: mm. anyways I like all the guys that everybody said I' just like wanna just thinking about other
2: I see <laughs> Jeffrey Wright as more of the you know we're talking about a Klingon or a romulan kind of uh uh you know a conduit or or, or the, like a surrogate for for that conflict I yeah. see him more as Maybe starting off as a villain, but it, by the end is is not you know he's not Well,
3: made the head of the Klingons on the planet that are being menaced by this weird. Like, wait a minute, you telling me? You mean to tell me there's a Romulan weapon factory making dudes on my planet, <laughs> or whatever? You know, I could see him delivering some of that speech.
1: Yeah, yeah, awesome. uh, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I see what you're where you're coming from with the Daniel Craig of it all, but like, I have. I've always just thought of Daniel Craig as so working class that the idea of him being this guy who loves hot tea, building ships in bottles, and listening to classical music feels a little bit incongruous to me. Oh, that's um, interesting.
2: I don't have that take on him, but that's interesting. Yeah, yeah he
1: feels yeah, I, like I, I, a guy who
0: fixes cars. Totally. No, but I, 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 I yes, well, I, I don't. I, I'm I don't, aware of, of
2: yeah. you know Logan Lucky, but I don't. <laughs> like, as, as oh, a, I as haven't a seen that. I don't even know of, what like, that is. I don't look at him and think like, "Oh yeah, like there's someone that pulled up their bootstraps and somehow became James Bond." Like I just see him. I don't know. I just don't have that perception.
1: But I oh, get it. That's I mean, exact, he's... exactly how I see him. I well, just, yeah, it, I, it, I don't it, see it. Yeah,
3: I think you could see him as posh if you would like, and you could see him as working class if you'd like. But you definitely see him as British. And this guy, John Luke Ricard, I know that there's no damn way that Patrick Stewart is French. But it just doesn't seem like there's any damn way Daniel Craig is French. But I don't care about that. I'm just saying that. But also, saying. like
2: I think that's an interesting, like a, a facet of Picard's character. If he did come from lower roots, and kind of this this whole I am I am superior, I am classy, I am all this is Uh, and built up from but yeah it's like him kind of building himself up to you know like rejecting his i know that's like injecting a whole nother layer of potential story that is not part of the pitch but no but that could be be part of of the head canon
0: i mean you know like my backstory is
1: i grew up in a trailer now i read books
2: farmer dude like he goes home and he puts on overalls and plays a piccolo outside to be fair
1: he's a farmer at a vineyard for a very classy winery in he's the right. in
2: the original, but in our timeline, he's whatever we want him to be. Just like yeah. Kirk's dad is alive and well in the original timeline, and in this one, it's the entire crux of his character because his dead dad. You know,
0: is is it too on go the ahead. nose to use it? Have Idris Elba throw in with uh, oh, go up against Daniel Craig for this? Is that I just don't
2: he, want to. He's see in the Kelvin. He's in the Kelvin time. I forgot. Yeah.
0: I keep forgetting all the people who are in
1: that one let me so just yeah, throw so this okay. out there i look i i am leaning more jude law than than um wow why did i just have a mind blank daniel craig. daniel craig yeah that said i get the arguments for both i'll just throw an a-bomb out there as another possible contender that you might immediately think this is terrible but think about it for a half second longer christian bale
2: wait 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 i don't know if you can see. You probably can't. I'll no. put in an insert. It says Daniel Craig or Christian Bale. On oh, my OK. Page. I will I will take a screenshot insert. I thought the exact same thing. Um, so, no, you are not wrong. And yes, I did have to think about it first. I was like, no, nah, that's dumb. And then I was like, but maybe I could see it. He has the intensity for sure. Christian and I definitely Bale. he has the chameleon ability
1: to make me yes. believe, you know, Christian Bale playing Picard similar to the way he played Dick Cheney. I'm in all, all day for that.
3: Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and, and I think he wouldn't even need all of that stuff. I think he would. It, it wouldn't be such a uh, prosthetic gain, lose weight no. type of performance. It would be so, yeah. just just his change in bearing would be able to carry it. I think we got a strong room for every part, honestly. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think we got a strong room for each part. I'm, I'm okay. looking at the overall everybody's list and there's there's nothing crazy.
1: No, I don't think so. And, and we, you know, we've thrown out just in the course conversation, a couple of possible names for Klingons and Romulans. Um, I don't think we need to belabor the point. I think let's move on to talking director. Let's move on to talking who's going to steer the ship and maybe who's going to steer this franchise. You know, are we thinking of a a JJ level director where you're going to give him the reins, assuming he's going to make three movies we're going to build up to the Borg and the fallout from the Borg. Who is that director that you trust with reinventing TNG? I
2: will just say, I don't think he should direct, but I think it's a huge mistake if we don't say from the team, like J.J. Abrams, we have to, in the marketing, like I think J.J. Abrams should be a producer on this. Yeah. And I think we should make it very clear. This Did you like that 2009 Star Trek? This is like the same thing, but but with the other cast, like, Even that's even though that's maybe misleading in a sense because that's not what our movie is, I still think like for a general populace, it's like, hey, remember how you were able to just jump on board with that Star Trek one a couple years ago? We're doing that again, so don't worry. And I think by putting JJ's
1: name on it in some capacity, sells it. I mean as as long as Ortsy and Kurtzman don't write it, I I gotta draw a
0: line. I think I think you guys didn't you mention David Fincher earlier?
1: I don't think there's any way in hell he would do it. I actually don't think he'd be a good choice. I was more so just referring to tone.
0: Oh, okay, um, that's that's my point. I think he'd be good at it, but I actually I... don't
2: think he would say no. I think it's like I'm always surprised in Hollywood the people that are like super gung ho about Star Trek. I'm like, oh, really? You like? I could mm. definitely see that being like secretly like one of his big like on his list of things to do.
1: I mean, listen. Uh, Star Trek in the style of Mind Hunter might not be a bad thing. Um, it's just a matter of does that jibe at all with the J.J. Abrams sensibility? I mean, I feel it like does. That would be super weird. Well, <laughs> who does? Okay, so let's go off that. Who do you think vibes well
0: with J.J. Abrams?
1: Um, I mean, on a stylistic level, it's it's a matter of who can deliver sort of that super polished looking spectacle but still achieve fincher level you know emotional complexity for lack of a better word i almost wonder
2: it. i know we pitch them all the time so i mean get out your your shot glasses uh but what about the duffer brothers as contenders for this one i don't hate it
1: i don't hate it
3: i don't all That's the way hate it i i don't i don't all the
0: way hate it is um, it is the no i'm not going to do it never mind yeah oh, jeez.
1: I mean, I, this might be an easy one, but given the focus on Worf, given sort of the allegorical story that we're telling with Worf, do you go with um, Ryan Coogler, the director of Black Panther and director of Creed? I like that.
3: I would like somebody like Coogler to be in the room. I would like the the Jordan Peels and the De Costas and stuff to be in the yeah. room. Jordan, dude, it'd be hilarious just- if... Jordan Peele loves Star Trek. I
2: fun. I think he I wouldn't be surprised. Does, I would I, I actually would? Yeah, I I would almost bet money that he does, and I would, a hundred percent be on board. I Jordan Peele for me is, if he gets the right script and the right story, I think he's untouchable. Like what I aesthetically when I see what he's done with Twilight Zone it just makes me so angry that a lot of the stories are not up to the level of everything else he's doing with it if that makes mm. sense
3: mm. so it's
2: like i feel like if he was given a great story even if he went in and kind of rewrote some of the script but the story was kind of like here's what we're thinking man that would be i'd be first in line to see that one
0: and he mm. could infuse the comedy parts as well like fantastically so
3: yeah i mean i i want to i want to bring somebody up who's presently in movie jail. And I think this might be the perfect thing to get them out of movie jail. And I think he's also been chastened enough that he's a genius, but he'll do whatever we say because he wants to get back into the biz. Uh John McTiernan. John McTiernan is old. Yes. He has a checkered past. He went to prison for like tax evasion or something. Yes. But he also directed The Predator, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October. Mm. This dude knows how to make a four by four space the most dynamic place in the universe. He did a movie about three different submarines that is exciting. They're sitting in a tube looking at screens, and he made it exciting. All I'm saying is, I would love for him to be in the room. I like Kugler and him in the room. I like all these different guys. I'm just saying, let me like turn a- it to movie jails. I and actually, he's great.
2: I mean and and real jail. I didn't know that any of this but I, now I'm just yeah. kind of looking at just yeah. like ooh perjury FBI investigations like I hope we have a substantial insurance budget because this is yeah. going to be hard. <laughs>
3: Dude, you haven't lived until you've been investigated by the FBI.
2: You know, I Ed, would much rather be dead than thank you very much. I don't need to be <laughs> investigated. <laughs> no you me know, either.
1: Ed, you bring up Hunt for Red October and I think that that's a great touchstone because that very much is like that's the inspiration for most of star trek right is sort of like naval brinksmanship i disagree that's what
2: nicholas meyer brought to it and that was kind of where we now get that sensibility of like wrath of khan is like the ultimate submarine movie but that was that was not like in the dna of star trek until until he came along and saw it that way and a lot of people at the time Hated it. And now it's kind of like, like you said, it's like accepted as like, well, that's what Star Trek is, you know? Well, I mean,
3: from the get-go, there was an awful lot of brace for impacts. And that to me is like pretty naval, you know,
1: just the whole <laughs> torpedoes. They've had <laughs> torpedoes. They don't yeah. call them missiles, they call them torpedoes. Well, I where where this was going for me was I was going to suggest Gore Verbinsky. Who is the man behind the Ring franchise and the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise? Huh. Gor I feel like you're Speed. a
2: very closeted uh, pirates fan because last time you were like Ted, yeah. Ted, and, and, and Elliot, like the Godfather
1: script right?
2: No, no, by no, the way, no. show
1: me your Jack Sparrow tattoo and let's just move on with <laughs> this I'm, episode. I, I'm honestly just a really big fan of super technical. Proficient blockbuster filmmaking, and I think that Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio are the pinnacle of that as far as screenwriting, and I think Gore Verbinski has proven that he is one of the best as far as directing. And so, I think that's also what you would, what you want to bring to this franchise is somebody who can handle the scope and not lose the characters. I don't is- I
2: actually I I don't hate that idea. I don't know where Gore Verbinski ended up after honestly that trilogy ended. Uh, he's still so doing the
1: pirates doing movies which is kind of a knock against him unfortunately because he's you directed know what? like some of again the cra- like even
2: even something <laughs> as jumbled as at world's end was it's still like if you just mute it it's beautiful to look at and it's it's certainly like it's attention to detail and meticulous and maybe that's more of a production design thing but I just have to think like yeah the I, I I don't know I don't know how much studio interference was in those movies, but the that third Pirates movie just is such a ding against him that I'm just like, that to me is more of a director jail than John McTiernan. <laughs> like. It's like I don't know, man. That, that, um, that okay. Well, Pirates if we're
0: cool. gonna if we're gonna piss off uh, fanboys, like let's just get Ryan Johnson again, and uh, swear and- jar yeah and then he can suggest him all the time i know but then he can be so mad uh, he can make other he can make star trek fans mad and star wars fans mad this is
1: great hey listen if you want somebody who can come in and fix all the mistakes that jj abrams made with a franchise you get ryan johnson and you <laughs> can quote me on that oh god <laughs> Uh, the, hate,
3: the hate torpedoes that are heading towards the comment section presently uh, I love we're down it. to 14 shields already actually i don't got hate, to do something
2: i take it i take it back i don't hate garver bensky i just wanted to see if you vamp i just want to see what he's been up to since then um, i honestly
1: don't think much and that's that's the thing i you know it's 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 one of those things it's almost a james cameron Uh, situation he also
2: did the lone ranger i'm sorry that's that counts as two strikes yeah oh billy's (laughs) out out. that counts as
1: two right there (laughs) this isn't him working with disney though i honestly think like the more disney got involved in his productions the worse they became i think he needs i think he needs a a reinvigoration with a better big blood big budget blockbuster producer I think that J.J. Abrams could be that guy.
2: But here's the thing, and I I know we're getting long in this episode, but I just want to say this. Before J.J. Abrams had maybe pissed off the Star Wars people, when J.J. put out a movie in 2009, like, you had to look back at his resume. It was like Mission Impossible. He saved it. Alias. Mm -hmm. It's great. And then Star Trek, like, he had the momentum going in his favor. So to bring in, like, I feel like we're pitching a lot of people or it's like, let's give them a chance. It's like, if I'm an executive, I'm not risking Star Trek to give someone else a pass. It's like, no, 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 sorry. This is for an up-and-comer. This is for someone who already is loved. And in that case, of all the names I've heard, then I would go Ryan Coogler or Jordan Peele. But even Jordan Peele, I feel like a lot of people didn't quite like us as much as they loved... um, Get out. Uh, get out. And, and I feel like, like I said, Twilight Zone, like it's not setting the world on fire, I think, the way that people thought. So that's not a knock on Jordan Peele. And that's nowhere am I saying he's on the decline. But it's like Ryan Coogler seems to be a little more on the trajectory of like uh, Creed was great. And then Black Panther was a phenomenon. Like if I can score him, his name definitely helps. You know, a Ryan Coogler film, a J.J. J. Abrams production. I'm like, oh, that that's interesting. You know,
1: agreed. Yeah. A- Any other strong thoughts on directors? I, you know, no. We, d- we didn't
3: bring up Quentin Tarantino, but we didn't for a reason. So good.
1: <laughs> I'm going to give him Voyager on the on the next reboot. It. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, let's call it. I like the work we did here today. We've achieved reboot. Yeah. So we have a reinvigoration of the next generation that is fitting into the Star Trek J.J. Abrams-Kelvin timeline. Um, We are dealing with the immediate aftermath of a peace treaty signed between the Federation and the Klingons, wherein our version of the Enterprise is a crew handpicked by Federation higher-ups and sort of given to Jean-Luc Picard to manage in a way that he is not so sure about and Worf is the first Klingon to ever join the Federation. We're seeing the movie through his eyes. It's a little bit of a two-hander between him and Picard. Um, And we are telling the story of the Enterprise going to a planet that is controlled by the Klingons, occupied by the Romulans, where we know there is some sort of major weapons development happening. But it turns out that the weapons development is people. (laughs) <laughs> and uh <laughs> thanks ed, for I making already... that sound like <laughs> no it's from uh it's from soylent green i know i know um ed i already forgot the name of that deep star trek canon reference oh, uh, that you made
3: uh they were the jim hadar born and raised warriors uh and we in our comp- in our conception of them they are created
1: so there are these cloned jem hadar and there it becomes sort of the central question of the movie. Are they going to murder us? What should we do with them? Should we just destroy all of them and this planet to remove this crazy threat to the Federation? And in great Star Trek Next Generation uh, uh, tradition, Jean-Luc Picard diplomats his way out of the situation after having his point of view changed by his encounter with war. Uh And there's hints to develop toward the Borg to make this a three-movie franchise. I think there's some interesting stuff happening here, guys. What do you think?
2: I definitely think so. And of course, you know, there's once you sat down and wrote this, you would find moments for Jordy, for Guinan, for Riker, who, by the way, I think we said is kind of our our corporate company guy who we're not sure about the whole movie. So, you know, don't be upset if in our, our big overview, that's kind of like if you were to tell the plot of Star Trek 2009, you're like... Yeah, but what does uh what does you know scotty do or what does you know checkoff do like they're there all of them are going to be there but ultimately i think this is a good i think this is a good uh, uh, uh continuation of what jj abrams and that team started and it's literally just the next generation of it and i'm happy with it
3: oh yeah and, and one last thing i just thought of this and i think it's just an interesting thing to throw in One of the main reasons why the Jem'Hadar is so important and why the Romulans wanted to make them in the first place is not only are they super strong and better than regular Federation soldiers or even Klingons, but perhaps due to their artificial nature, their tissue could conceivably be impervious to Borg assimilation which would make them the illest ghost army ever in a situation where we had to fight people who assimilate organic material. Maybe their organic material is special or or they have a special immunity to it or something like that. I don't know. That could be a hardcore thing to bring back when we bring the Borg in and we're losing. And we got our homies that we helped. We got these Ewoks that we helped in the first movie that come and help us, you know what I mean? I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. And last things last, I think Data's on the mission because they know that perhaps there's some sort of artificial life there. And maybe Data can do something with it. I don't know, maybe I'm scratching my straws there, but the, there, we gotta have reasons in the story. And maybe we'll talk about them in the rewind, why each of the crew members was picked. But in the overarching screenplay, you will see indeed why each of these people was picked on, on the ship. They'll do something to justify their existence.
1: Yeah, we've talked before about how ensemble movies are sort of the hardest for us to crack on reboot it. And you've, I mean, this is a long episode. I feel like all of our longest episodes have been ones where we're trying to deal with multiple characters. So this is no exception. Yeah, this will be a tasty reboot, it, uh, reboot rewind once we get there. Ron, last thought? I,
0: yeah, I had a, this was great. I, uh, I did not know where we were gonna go and we went to a place that was fun and interesting. And also I still think keeps to the core of what Star Trek is about which is learning about other cultures and 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 grasping for peace mm. and uh, and uh, that that part made me happy uh, that being said uh, next time uh, we record this guys I'm gonna check who was in other films and <laughs> memorize some new directors
1: and um- even some new actors. Never change. It's part of the charm of the show. Don't worry (laughs) about it. Well, if you guys are charmed by what we're doing here, come back next week. We are deep into season three. We are going strong, and we have got some slobber knocker episodes coming up uh, soon in the weeks to come. Hit the bell. Hit the subscribe button, help us out. That stuff really helps us out, and it helps you out. When we put up new posts, when we put up new episodes, when we put up new teases, you get the alerts, and that keeps you in the loop with what we're doing here on Reboot It. We're going to see you next week for another fun one. We are ramping up to an amazing season finale, and then, of course, we've got Reboot Rewinds coming. Lots more content from your boys. I am Producer Bill for Billy Business, for Ed Greer, for Ron Swallow, we're the Reboot Crew, and we will see you next time.
0: Hey guys, this is Ron. If you want to check out what we are currently doing, all you have to do is go to the Reboot It channel on YouTube, and you can see our sweet faces talking about this stuff. We've got a new tea Public store for you to get all of the cool shirts that you could possibly want the mumbo gumbo, the pop art reboot crew, the classic logo, and then of course, the rebooted drinking game, which has Jensen Ackles and DJ Qualls, among other fan favorite comments. So do yourself a favor, go to tpublic.com user slash reboot dash it and pick up your favorite t-shirt. So thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting Reboot It.